Salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile, coming from right here on our YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, streaming, all sorts of good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday, and I bring to you the gift of Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? I feel like I should have a chorus behind me and having lights and something and bringing the people what they need, which is me, of course. So you're kind of like an existential Moses now. Oh, no, you know what? If that's what you're going to say, I'm going to use that. The existential Moses. I did play Moses in uh, in uh, Tango Shalom, however. So. Oh, that's right. You're yeah. the voice. I was the and you were the voice of God as well, right? Just Moses. Oh, well, I mean, Mo- Moses, God, it was kind of ambiguous. Okay, I got you. Also sitting right beside him, Chris Carr is here, ladies and gentlemen. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great. I got free stuff. These lovely people over at Better Town, they give me a bunch of free shirts and, and mugs and stuff, and they plant trees for every order. Oh, and that's nice. And it's all just nice. like happy, positive stuff. And they thought of me. Oh, that's always nice to it hear. It real sweet. Joining you guys sitting back there. He's going to be with you in the live chat today if you guys are watching live. Ray Orr here. Ray, how you doing? I learned an important lesson last night. Oh, no. What? Don't look up if you're walking. <laughs> if you're walking underneath any windows. Don't <laughs> yeah, it's the... Uh... It's a little House of the Dragon <laughs> reference. We'll, protect uh, yourself. Protect, protect yourself. yourself at all times, like a professional <laughs> fighter. Always protect yourself. Sitting beside him in uh, running the show here today, producer Jonathan Boyko. Jonathan, how you doing? Good, good. I'm just learning about all types of werewolves over here. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of them. There's a lot of different types. Huh, Ray? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Some discussions were going on maybe before camera started to roll, but we won't visit yeah, those. Yeah, well, let's not. <laughs> and guys, it is awesome to have you here today. Thank you so much for making this show part of your day. Here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break it down into two parts. In the first half of the show, we're going to talk about some predetermined topics. Then in the second half of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. Here's how that happens. Number one, you got to be watching live. But number two, when we get to the end of the main topics, we'll announce that we're opening up the Super Chats. We only leave them open for a couple of minutes, and that'll be your window to fire in your thoughts, theories, opinions, speculation, question, and we'll spend the second half of the show addressing those. Also, don't forget, a little bit later today, uh, sometime tonight, the newest episode of The Weekly Hero will drop with, of course, Robert Meyer Burnett and Chris Carr. Make sure you guys check out the YouTube channel for that. Stay subscribed for that. And a little bit later today, at 3 p.m., Los Angeles time, we will be doing our Game of Thrones House of the Dragon episode six after show and open spoiler discussion. We're going to talk about the episode on today's show in in some non-spoilery way, but a little bit later today, if you want to get right into the details of it, uh, the burning hot details, um, we will, eh, a little foreshadowing there, we will, of course, be going into those at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time today. Make sure you guys come back and join us for that. Okay, guys, one last thing, a little bit of housekeeping. If you need your daily fix of the John Campia show, but you can't be in front of a YouTube video, the good news is that we've got an audio-only version of the show. It's the podcast of it. It's simply called the John Campia Show Podcast. Go into your favorite podcasting app of choice and subscribe to that today. And don't forget, we also have an after-show podcast for all of our after-shows that we do, including House of the Dragons. So make sure you guys are subscribed to both those. And thank you to all of you who subscribed already. All right, with that down... Let's get things started here with an off the top. And our first off the top is this. You know, one of the big hot topics of discussion last week going into the weekend was, could the Avatar re-release take the number one spot at the box office? 
And we knew that Don't Worry Darling was projected to make around 20, and it did, made about 19-something. And so really the question was, could Avatar make that domestically? And I, I said, no, probably not. I mean, it was possible, but probably wouldn't make that much. And it didn't. It ended up making 10 million domestically. But according to reports, Avatar is the re-release, the number one film globally this weekend, making over $30 million globally, which outpaced any other film on the global market this week. So it wasn't number one domestically, but it was number one domestic worldwide, pulling in that much money. Also interesting to note that even just domestically making over $10 million, it doubled what the Spider-Man No Way Home re-release did. Granted, two different scenarios. Spider-Man was just in theaters not terribly long ago, whereas it's been probably a few minutes since everybody saw Avatar on the big screen again. So a little bit of a difference here you got to keep in mind, but still an interesting thing to note. I remember going into this weekend thinking, we're going to learn a little bit about how Avatar 2 is going to do by the response to the release to Avatar 1. 10 million domestic, number one worldwide with over $30 million for a re-release of a 13-year-old movie. Listen, we've been trying to tell people ever since they announced Avatar 2, and everybody said, well, nobody cares about Avatar anymore. Uh, yeah, you're in for a rude awakening. Uh, never bet against James Cameron. People are going to flock out to see this. Now, I, I don't think Avatar 2 is going to make as much as the first Avatar did, but this thing is going to be a cash printing machine. And this weekend, I think, just proves it. Rob, you know, we were discussing whether or not it could beat Don't Worry Darling, and it, obviously it didn't at the North American box office. We didn't think it could. But number one worldwide, $30 million on a re-release. What's your take on this? Never bet against Jimmy C. I mean, we've been saying this, we've been saying this for years, John. Years I've been streaming with you since 2018. And how many times have we said, never bet against James Cameron? And I'll tell you something, you know, um, the fact that people have gone back and a lot of people went back and saw this in that uh, it's, hey, he has a new version of high frame rate where they, they, it's, it's not, it doesn't look like a soap opera as much. IMAX 3D did very well. This re-release, people are going back and they're seeing the spectacle of it. He's delivering the goods. I mean, like you said, is it going to make as much money as the original Avatar? Don't know. But I'll tell you something. This movie, Avatar wears its heart on its sleeve. And I think in this day and age, there's no ambiguity here. You're going to get transported to Pandora. You're going to have a great time. You're going to see things you've never seen before. Even though the story is familiar, I think people are going to flock to this movie. It's going to be huge. Chris, you saw the results for it. it. It didn't, obviously, we didn't expect it to nudge out Don't Worry Darling domestically, but I, I also wasn't expecting it to be number one worldwide. Yeah. $30 million for a re-release. What's your takeaway from this? Oh, I love this so much. We, my husband and I were talking about this, and he was like, what an F you to Endgame to put Avatar back in theaters. <laughs> Just to be like, no, 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 hold on. I can make more money. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, because now it is. <laughs> it was already the number one all-time film, and it has now increased its lead by another $30 million. Exactly. Yeah. So I do love that of, of James Cameron just being like, eh, hold on a second, just going to pop this back out here. Um, I'm so excited to go see this in IMAX. I loved seeing this on the big screens for the first time. It is something that I rewatch a lot, but it doesn't feel the same at home. So I know I'm going to get back out there. I think a lot of people are doing the same. I'm really excited to talk to people who missed it the first time. Um, like Amy Newman, I know, yeah. didn't see this before. Um, she posted that it was all right, and I want to talk to her about it. I'm excited to see how this is for somebody with fresh eyes who's never seen the movie. I, I thought it was... Look, I'm not the biggest 
avatar guy in the world like i was not one of those people that thought it should have won best picture at the academy awards or anything like that but it was a pretty damn good experience going back and watching that thing again and of course you know they're going to employ if nothing else disney is looking at this strategy to re-release the old one in preparation for the new one you're you can take you take it to the bank right now disney will re-release endgame they will re-release infinity war and endgame Prior to like Avengers uh, Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars, they will re-release that as well. But now, will it do as well as Avatar did? Can it retake the number one spot at the box office? Either way, Disney wins. But guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? The re-release of a 13-year-old movie is the number one film globally. How do you guys see that? And what's your main takeaway from it? Whatever it is, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that down... Let's do another off the top, and that is this. You know, Sunday night is very important for me. Normally it is just because I watch Sunday night football, but for the next few weeks, it's not Sunday night football time. It is House of Dragon time. And this week's episode of House of the Dragon dropped. You know, they did the big, we knew it was coming because of the preview. This was the big 10-year jump. We had the main cast kind of, well, a couple of the main cast get swapped out. We got a new uh, Renera. We got a new uh, Alicent. We've got a new, uh, I forgot the name of Renera's husband, but uh, they, they swapped that actor as well. Lenore. Uh, yeah, Lenore, thank Lenore. you. And I got to tell you, I didn't know how I would feel with this big jump. And now all of a sudden there's six children running around, like six new kids and whatever. Actually, more than that, if you consider Damon's children. So now you got like eight, nine, ten freaking little uh, child support payments running around and, and whatever. So it's like, how are you going to feel about this? I got to tell you, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It felt this was the most Game of Thrones feeling episode of House of the Dragon to me. Uh, I, I don't know why the whole series has felt very much in line with with Game of Thrones. But this one to me in particular really felt it was up there. I love the dynamic. And again, we're not going to go any spoilers. I love the dynamic between Renera and uh, Lenore. I thought that was great. We've seen that the enmity between Alicent and uh, Renera has really deepened a lot and gotten quite bad. We meet all the new kids. One of the kids has a Homelander moment, but again, we'll probably talk about that later this afternoon. Um, I thought it was fantastic. And man, this show just continues to impress week after week after week, and I am loving it. Anyway, Chris, you had a chance to watch the episode. I mean, the big 10-year jump, we got some casting changes. In some ways, it feels like a little bit of a different show. I heard one of the showrunners say it was almost like our second pilot. It was like, yeah. where we, did, like we had to do a brand That's new a pilot That's a great way again. to describe it. How did you take it? You know, it didn't fire on all cylinders for me, just because some things, the time jump made me go, oh, I'm supposed to care about this because it's gone on for 10 years. Right. And that didn't always work for me, especially with how things turn out in the episode. I do think these actors are phenomenal. Our opening sequence, too, is so, so powerful. That long walking shot is so oh, great. Oh, my um, God. It's so, yeah. so well done. And you know exactly, like, that's still the Renera we know. And boy, howdy, has she been still dealing with a bunch of the same nonsense. Um, I think there's some really, really compelling moments. I think one of the most outstanding scenes is in this episode actually it's just a couple of the other things with this time jump don't work at for me personally and i 
I'm worried that that's something that's going to happen is if we keep doing these decade jumps, that I'm just not going to be as emotionally invested in certain relationships. I don't, I don't suspect that they will because we, we don't have more another casting change. It's not going to be like The Crown where yeah. we have we've had four different Queen Elizabeths. But Rob, you saw the episode. What did you think? I, I Again, I, I really loved it. Um, there's something that this 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 episode did again. Stairs. Stairs are the, the enemy of everyone. Yes. Uh, we saw Viserys looking up the stairs of Dragonstone or, or uh, the Driftmark when he yeah, had Driftmark, to go see yeah. Corliss. And, uh, and this, when Rhaenyra, after dropping a child, is looking up up those stairs when she has to go see Allison. I mean, I'm like, oh, man. I, I, I never thought looking at stairs would be, like, ominous, but it was. I love this episode. Again, I, I think, if anything, this episode went too fast. I, I would like to have seen this episode could have been split and made into two because so much happened. I was so I found everything was so compelling. All these characters and 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 where things have been readjusted and and where like like Damon, contemplative, introspective, you know, different than he was. Like mm. you were pointing out, it's ten years of past. Yeah, ten years of past, and I felt it with him. I felt it, you know, and I just, you know, I I find this show to be so it works on on the characters have so many levels to them, you know, and that's what I love about this show is I really feel like these are, these are, I don't know if I would say I'd like them as people, <laughs> but, but I mean, I like them as characters. I really like watching these things because they, there's so many different levels to each scene that I find myself enjoying, even though you just know, cause it's Westeros that all of this is just going to go headlong into oblivion. And nothing but horrible pain is going to rain down on all of these characters. And I'm so there for it. One of my favorite things that happened last night was sometime after I'd watched the episode, I got a text and it's Ray sending out a text and it's a picture of uh, uh, Laris. So he just texts out a picture of Laris and then he follows up with, I don't know what this guy's name is. And the next text line is, but whoever is, he should go fuck himself. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know who does the ten the decade jump good, Rob? You and I know uh, who does it. The, the best, best ten decade, te the best ten year jump in TV history, all the time for all, for all mankind. For all my mankind, baby. Um, you know what? Damon was too chill. It was a little too chill for me. I hope we get him steering up stuff again. But yeah, I mean, this episode was needed to further the story, but it was just, there wasn't a lot of commotion going on from my prince. So I can't wait for <laughs> yeah. the next one. Oh, Hopefully, just wait. Yeah, yeah. So. But the, I really did like the actresses that are now playing. Yeah. Renee. Oh, no, they, they, they did a great job. They were great. I and mean, listen, I'll tell you what, if I didn't know out the Allison actress had switched, I just would have thought that was her. I know uh, that sounds weird, but I just would have thought it was her. I just love the fact that she's become a straight up stone cold. Just and she's, I mean, she's, she's wearing ruthless. Now. Yeah, she ruthless. Wears I love her. She's had ten years more experience in this role now. So, John, I got to ask you though, what's that? Team Allison, Team Renera. I, I can't go into that because it would get any. I, I would have to give specific examples in the show about why I'm answering it a certain way. All right, I was so say, you just have we're going to gonna save that. That's Look like at you them. should Look tune into the after show. At 3 p.m. Los Angeles time today. Come on back for our House of the Dragon after show. We will go into all of those spoilery details. Hope to see you guys there. Question is, did you guys see the new episode? If so, what did you think of it? Jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that down, let's go into another off the top here, shall we? And that one is this. You know, one of my favorite things as a movie TV fan 
is when a trailer I wasn't expecting just suddenly drops. That happened this morning when the first official Last of Us trailer dropped. And you know, listen, first trailers are a different breed. We've seen an evolution in movie trailers. By the way, you should check out a documentary about that on Amazon called Movie Trailers, A Love Story uh, by That's myself. Great, great editing. With great editing. It's like fabulous editing. The editing made it, Jonathan. The great editing commentary. made it. Um, but I, the evolution of movie trailers is that it used to be a trailer was a trailer, but now like first trailers are like meant as a first taste. They don't give you too much first taste, a little bit of something. Then once you get into second, third episodes, this first trailer was amazing. And it, it doesn't really give us much because it's just a first trailer, but it's perfect music selection. The shot selection was great. If you're familiar with the game, they threw in some very recognizable stuff that would get you excited. If you're not familiar with the game, the tone and the tension and the, the almost post-apocalyptic feel of the world is drawing. It's got a little bit of a Walking Dead feel to it, but a little bit of Game of Thrones drama feel to it at the same time. It uh, so yeah, That had nothing to do, but Lady Mormont's in there, of course. So yeah. that, that might have a little something to do with the Game of Thrones feel. This trailer is fantastic. Again, for a first trailer. For first her, it was utterly fantastic. I loved what I saw. I cannot wait to see this thing. The performers they have in it are mind-blowingly good. So I, my excitement level has gone through the roof for this series. Anyway, Chris, you had a chance to see the trailer for The Last of Us. What did you think about it? Oh, I'm so hyped. This is my most anticipated thing of 2023. I'm so excited about this. Pedro Pascal is going to crush it. Lady Mormont is going to be so good. She's such a talented actress. I'm really, really stoked about this. Seeing the clicker. First having the lovely little, just like, just the silhouette of it and just that weird, horrible noise. Yeah. Um, I can't play this game in, in at night. I have to have <laughs> all the lights on. Um, but like, look at how great this looks. And it's practical. I love a practical effect. Um, I think this is going to be wild. And I'm so, so glad. I saw a couple of people in the chat talking about how they thought this was going to be an HBO movie. The, that game is so dense and there's so much at play that... I'm so, so happy we're getting a series of this. I think it's going to be outstanding. This gets me so excited about it. Rob, you had a chance to see the trailer this morning. Just before we started the show today, what did you think about it? Uh, again, I, dude, I love this. I, I echo all your sentiments. You know, I, one of the things that surprised me was Chernobyl. Craig Mazin, who I actually worked with once at an ad agency, uh, Craig Mazin knocked it out of the park with Chernobyl. In terms of, and I, I, I didn't know that he had that in him because he, you know, he wrote Hangover movies and, superhero movie and all that uh, Chernobyl knocked me out. Clearly he brought that sensibility to this show and it looks adult. It looks, I'm talking about peak verisimilitude. You know how much I, I like that. Yeah. This show looks, it looks incredible. And in terms of what I really liked in the trailer that I thought was surprising, but I was there for it. It says, you know, it, the interstitial says from Chern, uh, Craig Mazin, the pr person who brought you Chernobyl. And then it also says from the person who brought you the video game, Druckmann Druckmann. The fact that they're touting that, that the original creator of this successful video game is as involved as the showrunner, that you know that the integrity of this is maintained. And the fact that they choose, that HBO would choose to focus on that aspect, I mean, this to me is the dream of anyone who's a fan of this game. It would be like doing a Metal Gear Solid game and, and having, you can't not have Kojima involved mm -hmm. and and that's what they did here and it made me realize i'm like they're on it i don't know why this stuck with me so much but i'm like this makes me more excited than ever because the original creator working with a, a showrunner who's already created incredible television 
uh, this goes straight to my list of must watch TV. Yeah. There, I mean, uh, my, I, my, I was excited. There's stuff right in the trailer to your point that it's like, you can just say that's pulled right from the game. That's right. Yep. I know right where that happens. I know right where that happens. It's awesome. I but, mean, we talk about adaptation, but to have, and Craig Mazin will bring that, bring that, that sort of erudite adult sensibility to this, but to know that the original creator, it will have integrity that I think we, that's what we as fans look for. But I, I exactly. hope, I hope not so much that, the original creator gets in the way of of the proper adaptation of means because I'll tell you what for me, Last of Us is one of the few video games that truly has movie level, series level narrative storytelling. Right, so that was that was cool when I heard they were making, but the moment we got excited was when we found out that the Chernobyl showrunner was doing Yeah, it. and his name comes first. Yeah, because that <laughs> so. Chernobyl series was so unbelievably good, and you think, wait a minute, wait, the guy who did Chernobyl is taking on the last of a source material. Like that's when I got really excited. Chernobyl and made my skin itch. Like yeah. literally yeah. watching yeah. it oh in radiation so just made me, con it. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm tingling, like itching from radiation. Well, but, that's the hope from this then too, is you don't, for me at least, I don't want a shot by shot remake of the game. I definitely right. want <laughs> aspects of it, but I want it to have somebody else's flair there. Somebody who understands storytelling for this medium too. Cause while last of us is incredibly cinematic and is probably why most video games are leaning that way now this one really proved that you could do beautiful storytelling mm -hmm. in a game i still want a show that's going to you know surprise Take advantage me. of the medium exactly right. well yeah, the yeah. production values and the special effects i mean that oh, one yeah. shot of building you know yeah i mean this looks like they've spared no expense so i'm very excited john all right, guys, question is for you. Have you had a chance to see the trailer for The Last of Us? I, I thought it looked absolutely fantastic. Again, just a first trailer we're talking about, but for a first trailer, it was incredible. How did you feel about it? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to take a second here and thank one of the sponsors of today's show. I'm wearing them right now, our friends over at True Classic. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's episode, True Classic. This brand new sponsor has the absolute best fitting t-shirts that a man can buy. Finding the right t-shirt with a little bit of a dad bod is incredibly frustrating. Most t-shirts are either way too tight on your gut or look way too big and boxy. You're not in high school anymore and it's time to upgrade. True Classic has already helped over 2 million men finally get a better fit at an affordable price. And the John Campy Show viewers and listeners get access to the best deal they offer. For a limited time only, get 25% off using the code CAMPIA at trueclassic.com. Look, you and I both know that almost all of men's t-shirts are designed to look good on skinny models with six-packs. But let's be honest, that's not most of us. True Classic tees taper off towards the bottom, but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. It's time to highlight your best attributes with a t-shirt that you can always confidently throw on. Like most of you guys, ever since college, I have always struggled to find proper-fitting t-shirts that are comfortable. Well, True Classic from the moment I put on the shirt they sent me solves it. And True Classic doesn't just stop at tees. From polos and workout shirts with the same flattering fit. Upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic. Get 25% off at trueclassic.com with the promo code CAMPIA. Free shipping included on purchases over $100. 100% risk-free guarantee with a 30-day refund policy. Stay classy with True Classic. Your dad bod will thank you. And thank you to our friends at True Classic for sponsoring this episode of the John Campus Show and for making my favorite shirts that I have in my wardrobe now. All right, guys, with that down, let's do one more off the top here, shall we? And that one is this. You know, 
when Chadwick Boseman died in, I think it was August of 2020, uh, obviously the world hurt. I mean, he, Chadwick Boseman quickly became incredibly beloved. For those who didn't already love him for his work that he had leading up to that, you know, get on up and, and whatever, they world fell in love with him as T'Challa and Black Panther. And then when he passed away, after a bit period of mourning, the conversation started about, well, what do you do with the character now? They're going to recast it. They're going to try to CGI deep fake it. Are they going to not recast it? Whatever. Ultimately, they made the decision not to recast the role. A decision I think was that was a mistake. I think it was a mistake not to recast him. But I respected their reasoning. They did it out of what they felt was respect, even though I thought it would have been more respectful to recast it and carry on his legacy. But they were doing it out of, out of a place of love and respect. So even though it's not the decision I would have made, I respect it. And the trailer for Black Panther 2 is incredible. And the footage I've seen from Black Panther 2 looks incredible. So it's we're going to get a great movie out of it nonetheless. But to this day, it remains a kind of a hot topic. You know, should they have recast T'Challa? Well, with that in mind, Kevin Feige had... Grand Supreme, Grand Pooba of all things Marvel. He was being interviewed by Empire. And they asked him about recasting and, and why they chose not to recast. And he said something actually fairly interesting. He said this, and this comes from the folks over at CBR. But he said, when asked why they didn't recast T'Challa, he said this. It just felt like it was much too soon to recast, he said in an interview with Empire. Stan Lee always said that Marvel represented the world outside your window. And when we had talked about how extraordinary and fantastical as our characters and stories are, there's a relatable and human element to everything we do. The world is still processing the loss of Chad. And Ryan poured all of that into the story. There's two really interesting things in this um, comment. And I want to start with the second one when he says, you know, Stanley said this the Marvel's supposed to be the world outside your window. And so when they were getting ready to make this movie, they felt like the world was still processing Chadwick Boseman, the loss of Chadwick Boseman. And so Ryan Coogler took that feeling we all, we all felt and poured it into the next movie. There's something about that that is exciting. I mean, the art, art is, it was, what is art if not taking the human experience, whether it's our history, our hopes and dreams and our fears, and pouring it onto a canvas, whether that canvas is, you know, a, a print or a movie or a television show. And the idea that a filmmaker like Ryan Coogler could take that very real pain and try and loss in the grief and then try to transfer that into a piece of art, like Black Panther 2, something about that is really kind of interesting to me. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Ryan Coogler as an artist takes that onto the screen. However, the, the one thing I would say to it, though, if I were talking to Kevin Feige, is that I understand that when you were contemplating what to do with T'Challa at that moment, two years ago, it felt like the world is still processing the loss of Chadwick Boseman. I, and I agree. But I also think you needed to be cognizant of the fact that this movie wouldn't be coming out until long after two years, two years plus, that we as a culture have had to mourn. And at some point in any loss, we move from mourning to celebrating. We move from mourning the loss of someone and then we transition into the, a celebration of their life and a celebration of what they, who they were and what they did. 
And I think maybe they could have been a little bit more aware that, yeah, right now we're dealing with this loss, but this movie is going to come out for the general public for another two years. So I think maybe they could have thought about that, but whatever. The other interesting thing, though, that I think is worth discussing here is that Kevin Feige doesn't say we absolutely just knew we couldn't recast him, period. He said this, and I'm reading this verbatim. He said, it just felt like it was too soon to recast. And again, I understand the feeling. I understand where they were and all that kind of stuff. But I wonder, Rob, when he says that, is there almost like a hint or an implication in that saying, is there a suggestion there that maybe at some point we will recast T'Challa and T'Challa will be back when he says it just felt like at the time it was too soon to recast. Was that maybe opening the door a little bit, suggesting that somewhere down the line? I mean, this is the MCU. Could we see T'Challa return with a new actor performing it somewhere down the line? I don't expect it in Black Panther 2, but what do you think? I, you know, I don't know about that because I think that they're they're going to lean heavily into the death of T'Challa in this movie, I mm. would imagine. And yet, it's, Black Pan- it's not called T'Challa, it's Black Panther. And, you know, Black Panther is a mantle that a prince or a warrior from Wakanda accepts. And I think that we move on. I think that can, I think I, because, you know, in the, in the Marvel universe, characters move on. There are different iterations, you know, of characters. I mean, I'm not going to say never because it is the Marvel cinematic universe after all, but I think I like that they're incorporating this into the storyline. Cause it, it look, as long as we get a compelling storyline that gives us a great entertainment and food for thought, and it expands the Marvel Cinematic Universe in interesting ways. I'm all for it. I don't necessarily think we have to have the character of T'Challa back. We have to have a Black Panther. And we have to have Wakanda. And we have to see how does Wakanda relate to the rest of the... And the thing that I'm most interested in is how is it going to relate to the rest of the Marvel Universe? Dealing with Toucan Sam or whatever new realm is called. I can't... It, the, I keep saying Toucan, but, but it's not... I, you know you know what I mean? I, I don't know what it's called in my mind... I haven't wrapped my head around it because it's Atlantis. It's Namor. I can't. I've read it. I understand it. But I, when I see, I know, I know, Fruit Loops. But I, I'm just, I just, I, I can't, until I see it, I can't wrap my head around this whole thing. Right. And that's why I, I have to say that of all of Phase 4, I'm most interested in Wakanda Forever as a movie to see why they're how they're going to deal with T'Challa. How are they going to deal with this? How are they going to deal with, how are they going to deal with him? How are they going to deal with all of this stuff? And I'm fascinated. I have to say, more than other than Moon Knight, which I was obviously really excited about, and to a certain extent, Shang-Chi, I think Wakanda Forever is the movie that I've, I, I'm really excited for. I, I hope I'm not let down, but it's because I want to know how are they going to honor both Chadwick Boseman and then deal with the character of Black Panther and T'Challa and moving forward and what's going to happen. And I'm stoked, whatever is going to happen. Chris, you you hear Kevin Feige's words. What's what's your takeaway from his statement? Too soon implies there is a time that is just right. Right. Yeah. So I believe that. I mean, and like you guys were saying, T'Challa will appear at some point because Marvel movies are going to be rebooted and things are going to happen. I do think we're going to see T'Challa sooner than later, though. And I know I was somebody who didn't know about the recast T'Challa movement and everything. And I thought it was very respectful at the time, like Kevin Feige was saying, of honoring Chadwick and doing this. But it's a really iconic character. T'Challa means a lot to a lot of people. So I do understand that this is somebody who should be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
And like you were saying, too, we've had time to process this and everything. We're always going to remember Chadwick Boseman as our king. But I think bringing in this character again is something they will do. As we know, characters are rarely permadead in the Marvel Universe. So I'm sure in Secret Wars or a different dimension or something else, we're going to have a T'Challa come back in any old time now. Yeah, and I, I just think, again, while I thought they should have recast him initially, I, and I still do think they should have done that, I think understanding an artist like Ryan Coogler taking his his real-world emotion and, and whatever and that experience and then pouring that into a cinematic experience for all of us collectively to watch and experience together, I I really think we're in for something special. I do too. I really do. Because you look at his track record, like Ryan Coogler is just one of the best filmmakers working today. And I think we're in for something really, really cool. But I do kind of think that Kevin Feige just opened the door just a little bit. Because when you say something was too soon, that kind of implies that there will be a time. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe we're reading into it. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about Kevin Feige's statement? Again, I, I may have disagreed with the decision, but I totally respect their reasoning and the rational, rationalized behind it. And I think Black Panther 2 is going to be incredible. How do you guys feel? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, we're going to now move on to the newest segment here on the John Campy Show, and that is our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day thanks to our friends at mint mobile for get, getting this together for us where not only can we read a question from you guys but we actually get to hear directly from you about something you want us to talk about if you have a thought or a question or whatever that you'd like to hear your voice on our show just use our hotline that's 951-268-4259 and maybe you'll hear your voice on our show for now what is our newest mint mobile hotline question of the day Hey John, this is Alan. I was just wondering, I just saw that the Loki season two trailer leaked online. Do you think Marvel should just go ahead and release like a really good looking version just to kind of get ahead of it and kind of make sure that people that uh, see the trailer don't see the leaked version first? Thanks. Love to hear your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, of course, Loki season two coming out. Loki is one of my favorite characters in the MCU. I'm, I'm a little mixed on the Loki show. I, I thought I thought it was all right. I didn't love it, but I thought it was all right. But they, of course, showed uh, an advanced sneak peek of it at uh, the con. And, of course, we live in a world where everybody walks around with an audiovisual global communication device in their pocket. And I wish they were just called that. Yeah, this, that's what they should just be called every time. And people, of course, somebody videoed it. They weren't supposed to, but they did. Somebody videoed it, and it leaked out online. And it's an interesting trailer. I like what I saw, but the fact of the matter is there is a low quality, crappy version of the trailers floating around out there that every minute that passes, thousands and thousands and thousands of new people see it. And so the question you raise is a very good one. Now, obviously, Marvel did not want the trailer to get out there, but it did. So they just got to deal with that reality. So what's your response to it? In the past... Marvel has responded in what I think was the best and smartest way. They got ahead of it and dropped the full version with great quality themselves. I can't remember which one it was. Weren't they supposed to be dropping an Age of... Yeah, they were supposed to drop an Age of Ultron trailer during Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I remember that. The No Strings on Me trailer was going to drop with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But somebody got their hands on it and they dropped a crappy cam version of it online first. So what did Marvel do? They went... 
damn it, Ultron. They literally put out a, a, a tweet that said, damn it, Ultron. And they put out the full trailer themselves. They got ahead of it to make sure that people's first experience with that trailer was going to be the high quality version that they were meant to see. And that was a killer trailer. And it was oh, a great trailer. So it really was good. Now they're faced with the same situation and circumstance. Now, this is a show that's not supposed to come out for a while. It's still a ways off. So it's, maybe it is too early to put the trailer out. But honestly, if the two options available to Disney right now are try to fight it as much as you can and get the thing taken up. Remember, for every second that it's up, a thousand people are duplicating it and sharing it themselves. So you can try to play that game. And even though it's too early to put this trailer out, I honestly think the smart move for Marvel here is to do what they have done before. Get ahead of it and just release the damn thing because you never get a second chance, Rob, to make a first impression. Anyway, you saw that this trailer leaked. What should Marvel's move right now be? Well, I mean, on one hand, I would say, yeah, you want to you want to put the new trailer out. But on the other hand, in a way, this is also great marketing. Somebody <laughs> put out a bootleg trailer. Ooh, and everyone feels like, oh, they got look all of fandom. Everyone that's watched this bootleg version will watch the trailer again when the full the full version comes yes, out. Yes, I will. And, and <laughs> I, I, I mean, I do. I, I Look, I'm the first person that if someone says, hey, man, the bootleg trailer dropped for this, I'm like, oh. I mean, I'm the first person that we all watch. But I'm also the first person to watch when a the new version of it comes out. Right. Because I want to see it. Um, I, You know, I think it's unfortunate. I'm all about great picture and sound quality. So I hate, I mean, I was looking at bootleg videotapes when I was like a kid. I can't stand seeing bad image, especially in this day and age. Even though I'm a sucker, I'll do it anyway. It doesn't matter. Should they release a new one? It really depends on what their own marketing strategy is. I don't think it really matters for them, to be honest. Mm. I don't think it matters because whether, you know, obviously they want their things to be looked at in a good light. But it's not like people go, oh, this, this looks like Marvel totally dropped the ball because I'm watching a, a, a bootleg trailer so it doesn't look good. No one's going to think that. It really depends is... Is there information in this trailer that they don't want out into the world that regard regarding the bigger market? But it's out there now, whether they want it to or not. Yeah, it's no, it's out there. So it depends. Do they do they really care enough? I think they just use it. It's again, it's another marketing tool because you're giving fans, ooh, I got to see something I'm not supposed to see. You know, you get that someone open. I get to open a Christmas present not on Christmas morning, on Christmas Eve. I mean, there's that too. I feel so personally attacked by everything you're saying right now. Where I'm like, I am that person. I, I do do that. I, 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 I'm exactly that person. I mean, someone's like, hey, would you like the scripts for Secret Invasion? Yes. Yes, I would. Send me all your spoilers and all that crap. You would not believe what's on my computer. I'm the first guy to do that. But, yeah, but, we, we really don't want to know what's on your computer. computer. I'm mean, really no. quite happy. It's all, it's all family oriented. So you're saying I'm you want saying. people to send you their scripts. Two girls, one. <laughs> no, I don't want people. I want people to send me other people's scripts that have already been produced. Uh, oh, there we go. Don't send me scripts. You've, I, as a matter of fact, I, I got two scripts. So I didn't want to read this. this week. <laughs> All right, Chris, it's what working. do you, what do you think? What should Keep Marvel be doing right now? They should do what I want and give me the full trailer. So I don't have to watch it all glitchy while Loki's being glitchy. 
Right. I just want it now. And and I mean, I think Rob nailed it. It's we're all going to watch it anyway. We already have watched it. Sorry. I want to watch <laughs> it in. Yeah, I just want to watch it in better quality now. Perhaps like I don't know why everyone looks like they film these two on Robin Williams's camcorder from Hook. Because they're he trying sends to hide. Because they know they're not supposed to have. Their, I know. Their kids, but so these things shoot in 4K now. It. So why is it all just like Blair Witch? It's 1990s footage. I don't understand. It's weird. I mean, why don't people have those new Ray-Ban sunglasses that have, you know, kind of like Google Glass? Because they will never let you wear those in there. They will never let you wear <laughs> those in there. Do some spy shit for me, D23ers. Come on. But All I right, guys. Question is for you. Did you have a chance to see the trailer? A lot of you have. I think the one that I saw already had like a quarter of a million views on it or right. something like that. So if so, what did you think about it? And what do you think Marvel's response should it be should be right now? Obviously, they didn't want it out, but but it's out. So should they just try to get it shut down as quickly as they can, or should they try to get ahead of it like they used to and just put out the full quality one? I understand why they probably don't want to do that too. What do you think they should do? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to move into our main topics here now. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, that's simple. You guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's 100% free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, Chris, what is our first main topic today? Our first topic comes from Xander Soros. Hello, hello, everyone on the show. This weekend is a great and fantastic day for the Jurassic Park fans because Variety reported that Jurassic World Dominion has reached a billion dollars, making the second movie of this year joining the Billion Dollar Club along with Top Gun Maverick. Thoughts about Jurassic World Dominion reaching a billion dollars? And what do you hope for the future of the Jurassic movies? You know, kind of like the James Cameron thing, never doubt a Jurassic World movie, apparently, even if it gets pretty mixed reviews and whatever, it don't matter. People love seeing, Rob, you say this all the time, people love seeing dinosaurs eating people. <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's just money in the bank right there. And so, you know, it didn't have the biggest, fastest start, but it just kept hanging in there and people went to go see it. I'm sure part of the lackluster offerings that have been coming out in theaters helped with that. But still, slowly but surely, took a number of months, it crossed that finish line, and now this newest Jurassic World movie is now a number, well, one of the new Billion Dollar Clubs, the second Billion Dollar Club movie this year, only the third in the pandemic era with this, Top Gun Maverick, and of course, Spider-Man No Way Home. This comes from the folks over at Variety who wrote the following. Never doubt dinosaurs. Jurassic World Dominion, the latest installment of Universal's Tyrannosaurus-sized film franchise, has finally crossed the billion-dollar mark globally. It took more than four months to get there, making Dominion one of the slowest films to gross a billion dollars in its original run. Other blockbusters that have reached a billion dollars after three months or longer of playing on the big screen include Finding Dory, Zootopia, and Frozen, all kids' movies. Uh, that's relatively quick compared to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which needed at least two decades and a few re-releases to join the club. But hey, a win is still a win. Chris... Despite all the, you know, things like really, do we need the dinosaur insects, and did, did this really work, and that really, and all that kind of stuff, this franchise is still so strong. Even this one crossed the billion dollar mark again. Only the second one to do it this year, and we're in September. How significant is this for a Jurassic World? 
I mean, I think it means that these dinos still have legs. I know this was supposed to be the final installment, but is it going to really be? I don't no. think so. I think we're going to keep seeing Jurassic Parks popping up all over the place because we just still haven't learned our lesson. Why would you clone dinosaurs? Why? Why? I think this also speaks to a lot of people. We banked on the nostalgia here because I was really excited, despite the bad reviews of seeing the original cast in there. Love me some Jeff Goldblum. And... I mean, dinosaurs actually had feathers this time, too, which was really nice and accurate. I like that. I think I think it's just people love these kind of blockbuster movies, even though we had really, really negative reviews. People love seeing dinosaurs eat people. They love coming to a movie theater for a popcorn kind of experience like this. And while it might not have fired on all cylinders for me, obviously it did really well with most folks. And by the way, Bryce Dallas Howard has been. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Bryce Dallas Howard has said they're going to make more with a yeah. new cast. And my question is, what is there left to do with this concept? But we've already it, been to the Vatican. It just made a billion dollars. <laughs> so of course, they're going to do more. Anyway, Rob, what stands out to you most about Jurassic World? This one crossing the billion dollar mark. Well, again? I think what's really interesting is what they said. The, the other films that took us long to get to a billion dollars were kids movies. And yeah. I think this is for all th- this. This is <laughs> look, say what you want about these movies. Kids love Jurassic Park. Yeah. And I think that parents need to take kids places. And even though this was on digital, you don't want to stay at home all the time. This is this is a movie that you can always take kids to. It stayed in theaters for a long time. The family audience was going. Um, look, I'll tell you what the next the next Jurassic Park movies are going to be. If I was in charge of this franchise, talk about a time jump. You go 100 years in the future. Civilization's fallen. And it's like Planet of the Apes. I was going to say, is it Planet of the Apes? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like Planet of the Apes. And there are pockets of humans that are trying to survive but dinosaurs, basically, the world has been transformed into the way it was 65 million years ago. It's like reverse evolution. And you've got a group of, of mankind that is trying to, life has found a way in a big way. I mean, and not only, I don't know what, the, the even the Earth's ecosystem has been transforming underneath to the point where humanity is being less and less, the, the planet is less hospitable. And that way, you have an excuse to have many more human beings get eaten and there's no military. I mean, there's no more bombs. There's no more nukes. Everything's gone. And people just get just, just just, fools just get devoured all the time. And that's, I want to see a movie where cowering humans fight dinosaurs, but most of them die by the end. What was the name of the Fox show that had Stephen Lang in it, where they had to go bunch of humanity went through some kind of a portal. La Brea. No, no, No. not La Brea guys in the live chat. Do you guys Oh yeah, that it was like it wasn't an Amblin show, and it only lasted one or two seasons. I just don't know. Terra Nova, thank you. Guillaume yeah. Labelle was the first one to throw it in there. Uh, Joe Adonis, a whole bunch of other people too. Bigelow, uh, yeah, Terra Nova. That actually, but that sounds kind of like a Terra yeah, Nova concept. The, in many yes, ways. instead of going back though, it's in the future, and I I just want to see fools get eaten. They don't. This movie didn't have enough people die. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Despite the fact that it was, I mean, a lot of people felt like the franchise was running out of gas. This one had mixed reactions, all that kind of stuff. It still hit the billion dollar mark. What do you guys think about that? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys, before we move on to our next main topic, we're going to take another second and thank another sponsor of today's show. One of the original sponsors of the John Campus show, our friends at stamps.com. 
We want to take a second and thank a sponsor of this video, Stamps.com. Guys, I know it feels early, but Christmas really is right around the corner. And if you've got a lot of stuff to send to family this year, you got to start thinking ahead. And if you're a small business owner, you know how important it is to be ready for the insane holiday season. Stamps.com has everything you need to make your life a whole lot easier. It's the 24-7 post office that you can access from anywhere. No lines, no traffic, no hassle. Get access to the USPS and UPS services that you need to run your business right from your computer. Protect your margins with major discounts from USPS and UPS rates up to 86% off. All you need is a computer and a printer. We all know that rates are always changing, but with Stamps.com's switch and save feature, you can easily compare carriers and rates so you know that you're getting the best deal every single time. And if you're running an online store, Stamps.com works seamlessly with all the major shopping carts and marketplaces. So get ahead of the holiday season chaos this year. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with the promo code CAMPIA for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts required. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code CAMPIA. And thank you to our friends at Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. You know, in between segments there. We had some interesting ideas for Jurassic Park. Um, somebody in the live chat, Terry Taylor, said, oh, my God, here's a crossover, Jurassic Parks and Rec. That's one. But the best crossover one was from Ray. Ray, what was the one you said? Come on. No. Come on. It failed in the chat. Why would it fail? I, I laughed at so, Jurassic of Us. Jurassic of Us. Come on. You get the last of us, Jurassic of Us. I love that. I think that's the one they got to go with. All right. Hey, guys, that all down. Let's move on to main topic number two here. Chris, what is our second main topic today? This one comes from Miles. Good morning, guys. I've been absolutely floored by Andor so far, and I can't wait for episode four on Wednesday. I know season two was already greenlit before this season started airing, but I didn't know what, to, uh, what Tony Gilroy already had the entire second season completely mapped out. Was Disney that confident in the show that they paid for the entire second season to be developed before the first season even started? What do you guys think? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Miles. Yeah, listen, we've known for a while that they had, in advance, greenlit season two of Andor. And we knew the basic idea, that season one was going to be one year, and then season two, every three episodes was going to represent another year leading up to the events of Rogue One. Okay, we know that. What we didn't know was just how far they went into the full development. Because, listen, we talk about this all the time. Everybody can have a plan. I mean, the Aragon Dragon series was supposed to be a trilogy, and we all saw how that turned out. Or Universal's Dark Universe movies was going to be The Mummy and Jekyll and Hyde and all these movies. Well, we saw how that turned out, so you can have your plans. But apparently, they didn't just plan to have a season two. They've already fully developed it. And Tony Gilroy is now saying, oh, yeah, it's com sec second season is already completely mapped out. And they just released the first three episodes of season one. This comes to us from the folks at CBR who wrote the following. While Andor season one only premiered days ago and season two is likely still years away, the series showrunner, which is Tony Gilroy, acknowledges that the second season is already mapped out. He says, the writing process is super complicated because we're really trying to get everything just absolutely perfect. And it's 700 pages of original material. It's an incredible amount of scene work and actors. I'm expecting that the last script from my brother screenwriter and director Dan Gilroy, in a week on his block. I owe my three scripts, but they're all sketched out. 
we know exactly what we're doing. But, you know, the moment-to-moment -moment details of it will probably still be hammered out through April. And that, of course, comes us to CBR. So every major step along the way of this story is already planned out. Rob, we've often heard that they've already got plans for a sequel or plans for a season two or plans for season three, but they don't go into full-blown development and get it all worked out before the first one even comes out. What does this tell you about this series? Well, I think that, you know, this series has had an interesting development process because Tony Gilroy was brought in again on this after, because they had scripts written, they weren't happy with this. If you go back two and three years and look at where the show was, they brought him in to sort of revamp it all. So they've had a lot of time developing this pro pro uh, series. And I'm, I'm like, this is the way to go. If you're doing a spy series, you already have your end, end product, which is Rogue One. You know where you're going. They're, they're telling a, an epic spy tale. I think they're approaching this like a great novel. And the fact that, like he just said, Gilroy said, I mean, that's exciting that Dan Gilroy, who made Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal, is directing and, and writing on this show. I mean, we're getting Academy Award caliber screenwriters and directors working on this movie or working on this series i think it's great and it makes sense because on a show like andor where you know your end you you better have this thing mapped out because what you want it to be is now can you imagine john we're gonna have 24 episodes and then a movie that could ultimately be one of the most satisfying things ever to come out of the star wars franchise I mean, I think that's what they're going for. Yeah, and they're certainly off to a great start with these first three episodes. Of mm -hmm. course, the fourth episode dropping this week. I mean, you've seen where it's going. Yes. It, it's, it's, uh, it ups the ante, reporting according to you, and becomes more Star Wars. It's Yeah, no, what they've done here is completely incredible. We'll see if the second half of the season can match up with what they've done the first half, but they're off to a great start. Anyway, Chris, you hear about this. Like, What, what does this tell you about Andor and their plans, and, and what's your big takeaway from this? We're not going to be changing canon that's been established is what right. I'm hoping this means. We have our endpoint, like Rob was saying, so we know how this has to end. I think that a show like this has to be carefully mapped out so that you don't rush things, so you also don't skirt over things that are important to getting to the Cassian Andor that we meet in Rogue One. So I think this is very, very smart. And it's something I wish more shows did because we have so many series that, you know, start out the gate really, really strong, but then they just kind of flip and flop around for a while and they don't know what they're going to do. They're just a fish on a deck, basically, right? right? So I'm really, really happy that we have a trajectory here. And it makes sense, too, if you were doing something that is a kind of spy thriller you need to know who's going to have those heel turns, who's going to actually betray the group, who's going to win and have a good moment. So I think this is a really smart thing. It gives you know, me confidence. You know what else, John? This is something that is the strength of streaming. Because on network Ooh. television, if somebody pitches a pilot, you know, they make the pilot and they don't know if they're going to get picked up or whatever. So they don't spend, there's no writing staff to plot where an entire show is going. But because this is a Disney Plus Star Wars show, they can gamble. They hire these people and they're like, okay, we're committing to 24 episodes. Right. We know. So the people, the showrunners, are afforded an opportunity to, to start thinking about the entire show that they're making, which is something that only streaming can do and only somebody who has deep pockets can make happen because everything else, it's like, well, maybe you'll get a second season. Maybe. But when you know that you're actually doing this, you can spend the time, and I would imagine this show is going to be incredibly satisfying, and there's a strength that streaming has that network certainly doesn't. Right, but you used a word that a lot of these streamers don't like, gamble. They, they really, they are pretty adverse to that, which is why it's impressive to me, as gambling adverse as these streamers can be, 
it's this just makes it more impressive to me that they did go all the way ahead and say, listen, it's it's an automatic. It doesn't matter what happens. We know what we got something on our hands here. We're going to move ahead with the development. Anyway, guys, oh. no, we saw we need, we run out of time. We got to keep moving on here. Guys, question is for you. What do you think? About this, the fact that they've already completely mapped out season two of Andor, whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. Chris, what is our third main topic today? This is from Iran from the UK. What's up, guys? Over the weekend, it has been reported by multiple outlets that Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde got into a screaming match on set and that Olivia would often disappear from set to be with Harry. What do you make of this? This surely affected the film. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Iran. And look, I, I always have to give this preface whenever something around Don't Worry Darling comes up. We don't like to talk about TMZ celebrity gossip, who likes who, who doesn't like who, bullshit. Like, that's all nonsense. But every once in a while, a story like that directly has an impact on a movie that is currently out in theaters or coming out really soon and has a practical effect on the stuff we do talk about. And that is the case with Don't Worry Darling. Now, we all know about there's been so much drama between not just Olivia Wilde and and uh, Shia LaBeouf and who fired who and who quit and all that kind of nonsense as well, but also the Florence Pugh thing, then the Harry Styles thing and all that kind of stuff. It's a mess. Well, a new, more official along the lines report has now come out kind of breaking down what actually happened, what was a series of events and what has led to the fact that Florence Pugh is not apparently promoting this film and all the, the tension that's going on. This comes from the folks over at IndieWire, and they wrote this. A new report from Vulture offers, offers more details on the behind-the-scenes drama that has plagued Don't Worry Darling, alleging that Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde engaged in a screaming match on set in January of 2021. Pugh was reportedly frustrated by Olivia Wilde's frequent disappearances with Harry Styles, who she began a romantic relationship as soon as uh, they cast him, as well as the couple's decision to attend a high-profile wedding despite frequently lecturing the cast about COVID protocols. Florence would give input on how she thought the next scene should be shot when Olivia wasn't there, the story's author Chris Lee revealed on Twitter. She was like, I'm directing this movie more than you are. That was yelled at one point and people heard it. That spread all around very quickly. All right. So, and again, that comes just from the folks over at IndieWire. Now, how big of an effect did this have on the final product of the movie? I will, you and I will never know. We'll never know, but it's going to have an effect because when you're trying to put something together creatively and that kind of tension is on set, I mean, that's hard and that's rough. And listen, I have guffawed for years now about how great I think Olivia Wilde is. I mean, Booksmart is seriously like one of the best directorial debut movies I've ever seen. It's it's absolutely brilliant, fantastic, and I've been super excited. But when you're the director of a movie, you're the captain. And if you're doing things like firing an up an affair with somebody on set, disappearing from set so you and that other co-star can disappear off together, or you start telling your crew and, and, and your cast about, hey, follow these protocols, covid protocols because they're shooting in the midst of that but then you yourself and your new plaything go off running off doing things that are completely breaking what you're telling the cast to the point that the star of your movie is getting completely frustrated with you they're actually they're shooting scenes without olivia even on set like she's disappearing while they're she's like just go i know you guys got it because me and harry are gonna go run over here like 
that is not how you run a production. And it's why this whole thing has turned into a circus. And this thing made 19 million over the weekend, which was good enough in these very, you know, very, very slim times to be number one at the box office. But if you had asked everybody coming out of CinemaCon, however many months ago, that May, June, July, August, five months ago, when they showed us this big, don't worry, darling presentation, no way anybody is thinking this thing's only making $19 million. It wasn't going to be a $100 million opening movie. Don't get me wrong. But this kind of drama, this kind of thing clearly had an impact on the film. It clearly had an impact on the bottom line. Hell, it, the article goes on in IndieWire even to express the fact that the head of the studio, I think at the time was Toby. Toby Emmerich was the head of the studio at the time. He had to personally get involved and sit down and try to referee. And apparently Toby Emmerich is the one who hammered out a deal with Florence Pugh to stay on the film and to at least show up to Venice uh, for the premiere and all that. Like, that's how bad it got. And I'm sorry, as big of a fan of Olivia, I've met Olivia Wilde. I think she's an incredible talent. I'm a big, you guys know I'm a big fan of hers, but you cannot conduct yourself as the director of a film like this and expect there not to be any repercussions and it has hurt their movie it's hurt the studio and it's unfortunate i don't know chris you read this report all this kind of stuff is now coming out what was speculation appears a little bit more concrete what's your takeaway from it well after this was released too then 40 crew members came forward and started saying no 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 this is not true at all there's a whole statement of olivia is an incredible leader and director who was present with and involved in every aspect of the production she ran the set with class and respect for everyone involved there was never a screaming match right we also had Warner Brothers executives uh, Michael DeLuca and Pamela, uh, Pamela Adby uh, release a statement to entertainment tonight saying, no, 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 there's never been a problem, all of this. Now, but you know who you didn't make that statement? Florence, Florence Pugh. Pugh. Exactly. So you have to take these things with a grain of salt because, of course, the Warner Brothers executives are going to say, no, everything's fine here. You should go see it. Don't worry, darling. Don't worry, darling. Go, go. <laughs> Synergy. So it is a very, you know... Someone said this, someone said that thing that honestly, I'm just sick of. I wish we were talking about the movie. I wish we were just talking about the, how everything went with this. It's unfortunate if all of these really, you know, unprofessional things happened. This sounds like if they are all true, what a nightmare set to be on. You know, I've definitely worked with directors who have been rude or short, but this is very, very unbecoming behavior if this is true and i understand again if this all happened i understand florence Pugh being that upset and that frustrated because it's really really difficult to show up and do your job and be emotionally available in a very very difficult film there's a lot of trying moments in here if your your captain's not on board with you the whole way you know when when everybody thought that they started going around and, and hey it looked like it when everybody thought that harry styles spit on chris pine what happened within 24 hours Chris Pine's rep came out and said, no, 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 that didn't happen. Everything's, it, it, that didn't happen. Chris Pine's rep came out and said that. You know, Warner Brothers didn't put out a statement that said, Harry Styles didn't, no, it was Chris Pine's people. You would think if there was any wiggle room on the validity of this, that just Florence Pugh herself, at some point in this long, arduous process, would have just come out or had her rep come out and say, no, listen, everything between me and Livy is good. But, it's very conspicuous by its absence. Anyway, Rob, you saw this. You saw the movie to yourself. When you And you've been on a lot of sets of movies. When that kind of tension is on set, can that ultimately affect the film itself? Well, here's the thing. I have seen directors and actors have rows on a set. Usually it's over creative decisions. 
I have seen, I can understand during COVID protocols, if in your spare time you do something like go to a wedding, people get upset because you're exposing yourself to a lot of other people. I myself got COVID because one of my family members went to a wedding and brought it back with them, gave the whole family COVID. I have a very difficult time believing that Olivia Wilde, who is a industry veteran, would ever leave the set or go somewhere and hang out because a director, especially on a on a on a movie that's not a two hundred million dollar movie, the director is the focal point of everything that's happening on right. the set. Yeah, and I just find it I find it odd that I, I'm sure someone said, yeah, well, you know, they would slink off together, but not during the day. I can't imagine Olivia Wilde leaving set, and that's why the crew. I'm sure the crew said this this because it gets to a point where this affects a crew as well. Like nobody wants to. You're going to work on a movie. You're going to get your next job. You're going to interview with someone. The first thing they're going to ask you is, is it true Olivia Wilde, you know, left the set? How could you, you don't want, you don't want your reputation to be associated with that either. And I'm glad the crew came out and said that is BS because I find that very difficult to believe. I totally believe that they fell in love with each other or whatever on the set and they would they would leave together in the morning maybe show up in the morning and leave together at night but i don't for a minute believe cuz harry styles there's a trailer that's all people do you've got a trailer you come to work you check in you know and and the studio is looking at everything that happens during the day and if there's if if you don't get a shot off you get a phone call like if you're behind on your schedule and no one's saying well the film fell fell behind that's the real telling point. If Olivia Wilde was leaving the set, the studio would say, yeah, they fell behind two or three days. There's been not one report that the schedule that this movie fell. Well, it sounds at, like at they all. just kept shooting. It sounds like, again, to me, the thing is this, because I want to believe all that about Olivia Wilde, because I've been espousing for years how great I think Olivia Wilde is. All it would take is one tweet or one public statement or one slightest word at the Venice Film Festival, at anything, of Florence Pugh. Just Florence Pugh to say, like Chris Pine's rep said, that didn't happen. Florence Pugh has been incredibly conspicuous by her silence in all this. Or, and not saying anything. I mean, that, that, and it's not like it's just in one week. This is months of this stuff. And she has, you know, we get the excuse that, well, she's busy shooting Dune. We've seen other people busy shooting other movies and make time for a press day and do, or at least... Whatever, but it's it's been it, it makes this believable, especially coming and and being doubled down on an outlet like IndieWire. It makes it really really conspicuous for that. I, I don't know, but you're you're just of the opinion that you don't have an opinion about it because you don't believe this actually happened. I I, th I believe certain things happened. So certain the things well, they that certainly met and fell in love. All yeah, that all that. I yeah, believe, yeah. but I don't believe that because people just don't put up with that. Studios do not put up with that. And, and the money people don't put up with that because you're talking about millions of dollars are at stake. And I also don't believe that Olivia Wilde would do that as somebody, as a filmmaker who is a woman working in the business. It's already hard enough. And this film was something that was, she was passionate about. She found this script. It was a blacklist script. She rewrote it with her, her book smart writer. I just think I just don't buy it. All I don't right, buy guys. all of it. Question is for you. What do you think about this report that's come out? What do you think if the report is true? How does that affect the way you see the film and the people involved? Or do you even believe the report at all and you think it's just like a bunch of nonsense? Whatever you guys think about this and did it have any impact? This is I'm bringing bring up here because I had a few people tell me that it did. Does all the drama that went on, did that at all have any impact on whether or not you went to go see the movie? Because I've actually heard from some people that it did. Maybe it didn't for you. Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comments section below. 
and leave those thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into our fourth main topic today. Chris, what is our fourth main topic today? This one comes from Adam Meyer. It appears the review embargo for Marvel's Werewolf by Night special has lifted and is receiving widespread acclaim for Gale's and Laura's performances, Man-Thing, the score, and for Michael Giacchino's direction. After hearing that not only... After hearing that, not only is it a refreshing take, but that is also signal. It also signals a turn to true horror and gruesome aspects within the MCU. Do you all think this could help Marvel fully embrace its supernatural side? What are your thoughts on these reviews? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, so a bunch of people have been able to see Werewolf by Night. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. You guys have heard me talk about this. I've had very little interest in this. I haven't hated the idea of it. I've just had no interest. And when they dropped the first trailer for it, I admit, and you know, I talked about it. I'm one of the few people that I watch. I'm like, that trailer didn't really interest me that much. I, I didn't really see anything there to be excited about. Kind of looked like a joke, whatever. And then, and when they posted the, the hold page for it on Disney Plus for Werewolf by Night, it listed the genre as comedy. And, and we talked about that at length as well. So it's like, I've had very, very little interest in this, just to be frank. That said, the people watching it even people who I know have not liked Marvel's M or Disney Plus stuff, like hardly at all, are coming out and saying that this thing's great, that it's horrifying, words like chilling and truly embracing horror while also being tongue-in-cheek at the same time. Uh, James Riscardi, who's who's known for not really liking the Marvel Disney Plus thing, he said this. He said, the Marvel Disney Plus shows have been a bit all over the map quality-wise, but Werewolf by Night is easily the best thing they've done. And that coming from somebody who has not really enjoyed what they've done so much with that. Uh, Eric Goldman writes, I love Werewolf by Night. The throwback black and white classic horror approach works perfectly for the story and feels so unique within the MCU. It's an exciting example of how they can push boundaries. That's neat to hear. An exciting example of how they can push boundaries. The, the cast is great. I hope to see more of it. Uh, Hemsworth writes, I got the opportunity to watch Werewolf by Night a bit early, and this honestly may be my favorite Phase 4 MCU project yet. So not just favorite Disney Plus thing, but my favorite Phase 4 project yet. It's brutal. It's chilling. It's effectively ch tongue-in-cheek. Also, more and more go on to say that it's very violent and all this kind of stuff at the same time. So now here's the other interesting thing about it too. A lot of people are referring and talk about it as is a very self-contained story. So that tells me it's not bringing in a lot of loose threads or tying into the rest of the MCU all that much. I mean, I don't know if that's the case. That's what I'm interpreting from them saying it's a very self-contained story. A lot of them are saying that. I'm going to admit, I am more intrigued now hearing all these people saying, oh no, no, it is very violent. It's chilling. It's pushing boundaries. Uh, it's still tongue-in-cheek because it's Marvel, but it's done all this kind of stuff and, and that is self-contained. And I get excited about the self-contained idea because one of the things I've been saying for a long time that I wish Marvel would do is what DC has done, telling some self-contained outside of their main cinematic universe movies with Joker, the Batman, things like that. I would love to see Marvel experiment with that. And is Werewolf by Night a little bit of an experiment with that? And if that, I got to say that's intriguing to me. So while I have not been super interested in this project, I got to say I'm liking what I'm hearing. Rob, you've been hearing the reactions coming out of this. Some people saying it's the best thing they've done in phase four so far, that it's violent. It's all. 
What's your interpretation of this? Well, this excites me to no end because I've been really interested in how they are going to incorporate the supernatural into the MCU. Right. You know, we have like Agatha Harkness, man thing Look there. Look at that. That looks great. Um, it sounds really incredible. You know, one of the sites I always watch on YouTube is Everything Always because they always report on Marvel information. And uh, that guy was very, very enthusiastic about this. And and I'm like, wow, that's – I mean, he was waxing rhapsodic because he saw it as well. And I'm like, okay. And it sounds terrific to me. And, like, it's hardcore because I'm like, how are they going to make a Blade movie in the MCU? How Where are vampires going to come from? Like the X-Men, where have they been? There's lots of monsters in the Marvel Universe. Where have, is Man-Thing just wandering around somewhere and we just haven't seen him yet? So they're addressing these issues. The only criticism that I've heard of this that I found interesting was somebody said that, like, Man-Thing was CG mm. and that the, C, the CG creation looked a little out of place because they really leaned in to the movies of the 30s and 40s and that there was no CG. So the fact right. that, so okay, that there, that's we, interesting. you know, and I was like, I, okay, that fascinated me because that wasn't a criticism as much as it was an observation. But everybody else has been wildly enthusiastic about this. And I'm like, man, dude, I can't wait. Because I like you, I'm like, what is this? Like, what is this? But hearing that this is this good, dude, I'm in. I can't wait to see this. Chris, you've been hearing the reaction. Now, I know, unlike me, you have been very enthusiastic I about the sounds been. of this. What do you think about what we're hearing? What's your main takeaway? I mean, I was hoping this was going to be really campy and ridiculous, but I'm hyped for it still. I'm just going to be a little nervous watching it because I get spooked easily. But I mean, I never thought that we would get friggin' Theodore Salas in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's wild to me. There's bananas that we have Man-Thing in this. And I think that's really a cool observation because the practical effects are what I was most excited about in well, this. Yeah, and I'm so, like, why did they make a practical yeah. Man-Thing? That would have been expensive. Yeah. That would have been dope. Just hit up the Jim Henson workshop, guys. That would have yeah. been dope. It would have been so fun. But I think this is really, really exciting. I really, really like that they are exploring other genres because we've talked about this with Star Wars. You don't have to play in the same kind of genre you can play in that same sandbox and you can explore different things there we're seeing that with andor right doing a spy espionage thriller i'm hoping we do more of this with marvel we've had you know some kind of rom com light things we've had a lot of comedies in there and stuff like that but i love that they're committing to horror i think that's going to be really cool all right guys question is for you what do you think the reactions coming out of this are not just that's that they're good. I don't think that's the story. I don't think that the story is that the reactions about Werewolf by Night is that it's good. I'm surprised hearing that a lot of people are saying it actually is horror. That's leaning right. into that, especially with all the stuff. Like, the, I, I was not impressed with the trailer, the fact that they labeled it as comedy. So I think there's a lot of surprising things here. What surprised you? Are What's your big takeaway from the reactions we've heard coming out of Werewolf by Night? Are you looking forward to this thing? It's not that far away now, just a couple of weeks away. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below. And leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With all of our main topics now down, we are going to open up the Super Chats. We only leave them open for a few minutes. So if you've got a thought, opinion, question, whatever, that you'd like to send in, now's your time to do it. And we will address those in the second half of the show here. Now, before we get to your live comments and questions that you can fire in now, we're going to take a second and thank the main sponsor of today's show, our friends and my cell phone service provider at Mint Mobile. 
Hey guys, we want to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. And now for the plot twist. I'm just kidding, there isn't one. Seriously, Mint Mobile just has premium wireless service from 15 bucks a month. There's no trapping you into a two-year contract or opening the bill to find these crazy fees. There's no luring you in with free subscriptions to streaming services that you'll forget to cancel and be charged full price for. I used to dread opening my phone bill every month because every time I was opening it, it was like playing roulette. I never knew what the actual price was going to be and it always seemed to get higher. But not with Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And if you're worried about the complication of switching things over, don't. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month and no unexpected plot twists at mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Seriously, you'll make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Guys, remember, when you support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So make sure you go down to the description of this video and right near the top, you're going to find links to all of our sponsors and those promo codes. And thank you again to Mint Mobile. All right, with that down, let's get into your live questions. We're going to start things off here with our beloved channel members. So, Ray, what yep. do we got from our channel members? We got one from Bixter5001, Larry's House of the Dragon actor, Matt, Matthew Nedham, is a superb Brit stage actor. Fab to see him getting seen by a bigger audience. Yeah, I'll tell you what, this is, I think we've met our villain of the series. I think we've met like a certainly a fabulously intriguing character. Of course, we met him the previous week. He's going to be great in this, and the performance so far has been fantastic. All right, what's next? Trash. Trash. <laughs> Michael Gonzalez writes, thoughts on James Earl Jones retiring from voicing Darth Vader. Yeah, he made it official. He's no longer going to voice Darth Vader. I I'll be honest with you. I, I thought several times that he had done that, and then I've been surprised when his voice pops back up again here and there. Listen, this man has given us this iconic voice for as long as I've been alive. Uh, and so all there is to say is James Earl Jones, you masterful son of a bitch. God bless you and the service you've given the fan community for so many decades. And you relax, my friend. You let somebody else pick that up from now. And so thank you so much for giving us one of the most iconic voices in the history of cinema. So thank you to you, sir. And uh, job well done, my friend. All right, what's next? All right. We got one from a haunted autumn. Um, just a friendly reminder to eat your greens. Hashtag green bean. Bring on the filth. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag what? Oh, no. is, this something, is this a reference to Friday show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to be there, I guess. <laughs> let's not. Let's not get into it. Okay. Ariel Kaup writes: What is jo Jody Comer's? Wasn't Sue Storm, but Doctor Doom instead? I would love to see Marion. Cotillard take up Dr. Doom personally. I don't see that happening. I, I don't see that happening. I mean, listen, uh, Victor Von Doom is a character that, I mean, quite frankly, him being a man is not actually a core essential element to who and what the character is. So if they ever wanted a gender swap on that, I'm, I'm okay with that, but I don't see him doing it. So no. And I don't, I, I don't think Marion Cotillard makes a good Doom either. So I don't know. Could, could you see her? I mean, she's a, one of the world's best actresses, but I don't see that as a fit. Yeah, no, I, I, I love her. But as Dr. Doom, 
I don't, I don't yeah. see it. I, I feel there's it. better options for her. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Many others. All right, what's next? All right, Fredo. Fredo. Coles writes, hey, cool people. I saw Don't Worry, Darling, and I liked it. The ending was trippy. Have any of you seen it? I've heard a bunch of people writing in, and it's been very mixed. Some people, half the people writing in to me saying, hey, you know what? I watched it, and I, I actually quite liked it. A lot of people writing in saying they didn't, and they often point to the ending and, and the, the twist of the movie as being pretty dissatisfying. Rob, I know you saw it, and you kind of felt that way too, didn't you? The ending was interesting, but not unexpected, and it didn't go far enough. I thought that the ending was a little simplistic in my mind, in terms of everything that had come before it, I would like to have seen something that was a little bit more challenging. Hmm. All right, what's next? Got one that just came in from Movie Fan 109. Hi, John and crew. What do you guys think about the new Dahmer series on Netflix? Dude. I personally have to watch an... I personally have to watch an episode or two every couple of days. It creeps me out so much. Thanks, and bring on the filthy. I haven't heard great things about it. Uh, I, I haven't started watching myself, but listen, it's true crime. Apparently, the Google search of Dahmer has like tripled that of Andor. Uh, and look, and people, listen, our society is our suckers for true crime stuff. Like, that's why the true crime podcasts and all that kind of stuff have exploded the documentaries on Netflix and whatever. So yeah, but I haven't started watching it yet myself. I haven't had a chance, although I'm, I'm pretty much dying to, but I've heard mixed things. Have you started watching it, Rob? What are you thinking of it so far? It's, it's really difficult. It's a difficult watch. Yep. It's really well done. And my God, the central performance, who would have ever thought that our Ralph Boner, Evan Peters, I mean, Evan Peters is crushing it. The story is really disturbing, and what's even worse is I've gone back, and there's a lot of interviews with Jeff Dahmer, mm -hmm. including the one with Stone Phillips and Jeff Dahmer and his father. I, I mean, it's so chilling considering what he actually did to his victims and what he ended up. It, it's so disturbing, and just all I can say is episode six, bro. All right. All right, is that it for the— uh, No, I got, uh, I got just a couple more. Let's S go quickly, then. SRU Shrujen writes— the drama behind this film is wild. I'll get it. Wild. Yeah. W-I-L-D-E. Yeah. I get the it. E, little play on words there. All right. What's e next? Ian Barth writes, before Rob's Jurassic Planet pitch, we need to see the war leading up to it so that I can finally see what I've wanted for years. Dinosaurs with guns strapped to their backs. Give it to me, universe. Yeah, dino riders. Need, they need that dino rider. Remember, there was talk about that a long time ago. Remember, crossing Fast and the Furious with... The dinosaurs, just strap them on. They're family. All right. All right, I got two more. Johnny5619, first trailer for The Last of Us show, looks so dope. And I forgot how much that clicking noise freaked me out. Thank mm. you. Thank, and y'all have a great day. Yeah, they certainly captured the atmosphere of it in a very, very short trailer, but it looked incredible. All right. And we got one last one from Josh Katz. This one's kind of uh, special. Hi, John and company. I took my mom, who recently diagnosed with cancer, to see Avatar in IMAX 3D for her first time yesterday. Seeing the wonder on her face discovering Pandora nearly brought me to tears. Oh, yeah. and, and what, I mean, that's the magic of movies. Mm -hmm. That's the magic of what movies are. And listen, all of our obvious best thoughts to you and your family and, and you know, the obvious the battle that your mom's got ahead of her, ahead of her, but we hope all the best for you guys. And I'm so glad you were able to have that experience. And I would love to see this on the big screen, because the people I went with had all seen Avatar before. I would love to see this on the big screen with somebody who had never seen it before. Because yeah. it really, it is a pretty impressive theatrical going experience. Thanks for sharing that with us, man. All right.
With that down, let's get into the super chats you guys have been sending in. Chris, what do we got? From Andy, one of two. Looking back at Game of Thrones and Supernatural, I realized that despite their deaths early on, both the show's respective father figures, Eddard and John, still left uh, a strong presence felt through later seasons. It's true. I mean, listen, I almost gave up on Game of Thrones at the end of season one because like, oh, my favorite character has gone. This is the, is the main character of the show and he's gone. He's been done dirty again. Uh, and so I almost gave up. But you're right. The presence of the father was felt all the way through the end of the series. And the same is true really of Supernatural as well. They did that as well and they did a great job with it. All right, what's next? From Jai CSC, got COVID again. Oh, Ugh. feeling okay, but needed a fun movie to watch. So I went with Happy Death Day. Nice. One of the most pleasant movie surprises I've encountered. What movies most exceeded your low expectations? That's one of the big ones. I mean, th there have been several movies. I mean, there's fewer. What's the best way to say this? There's fewer pleasures as a movie fan that are better than going in to watch a movie that you didn't think was going to be very good and you have a great time with recently, it. Recently, it was Super Pets. Super Pets recent. was one of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually, yeah. I, I thought that was going to be garbage. And you know what? I didn't think the movie was great, but I had a good time. I enjoyed watching that. But Happy Death Day, I, I'd have to have more time to think about it. Happy Death Day ranks up there for me, though. You got any movies like that, Rob? In my life, there's one that stands out. A movie I didn't think that it was going to be good at all. I went as a lark with a friend. Summer of 1988. Die Hard. <gasps> oh, yeah. Because Bruce Willis was a TV star, and it was like the ad for the thing. No one knew anything about it. I went and saw it early. I knew from the opening credits that took 10 minutes as it was weaving through the story and John McTiernan's direction and the, the cinematography. I'm like, what, what was I thinking? Wow. Chris, you got one? Sonic. I didn't expect Sonic to be as good yeah, as it Sonic was. Yeah, Sonic was better than I thought it would be. That was delightful. That ended up I being pretty it. charming. All right, what's next? Dante Serechia. So I saw Avatar, only my second time ever in this format. What wow. a beautiful and wondrous film. Dare I say the most wonder-filled film this year. Uh, I love this movie. It was better than Don't Worry Darling, in my opinion. Well, I mean, it's clearly better than Don't Worry Darling. <laughs> We're talking about a film that got nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It's the number one box office film of all time. It's it's a constantly talked about. So, so yeah, it's clearly better than that. But again, a reminder of that. You know, I forgot how kind of wondrous it is on the big screen. It is a big screen kind of movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all these detractors have forgotten. Yeah. I mean, it, it's become the, it became a few years after the first Avatar came out. It kind of became the stylish thing to hate on the movie. That, that was the cool thing to do. Like if, if you were a cool film fan, you hated on Avatar. But listen, it, it was a remarkable film. Again, I don't think best film of the year, but it was pretty damn good. All right, what's next? From Al Renshaw, movie fans before Avatar re-release. Nobody cares. After the re-release, this was great. John Campias Thanos, all of this has led you back to me. LOL. <laughs> I listen, I didn't realize it was going to be that moving on. So like, <clears throat> it's been years since I've seen this thing on the big screen. And I forgot. I mean, Jim Cameron, just don't doubt him. Don't doubt him. And I'm not going to pretend Avatar 2 is my most anticipated film still to come out. It's not. But I'm looking forward to it and seeing this thing again. Only heighten that expectation. All right. What's next? From Al Renshaw. I saw the Black Panther 2 trailer in 3D before Avatar this past weekend and loved it. You think we could see Marvel do this with future trailers or movies? Uh, do what with future trailers? Or Make them 3D. Make it 3D. I, so when I saw it, I did not see a, the, a Black Panther trailer. I didn't play the Black Panther trailer before my screening. Um, I didn't know Black Panther was going to be in 3D. All the movies have been, all the Marvel movies have been in 3D. There have been a 3D version. I see, I, I just, 
I don't care I mean, about not the new movies. I skip the them all. But but up till now, you have to. The only way to get them now is in Japan on disc. But all right, that's interesting. All right, what's next? From Lorenzo Ramos, have you ever been able to watch a director's work for any reason? Mine is M Night Channel. Uh, not not been able to watch a director's work for any reason. Mine is M Night Sh- M Night after the disaster of Avatar movie. I have no way. Oh, you're talking about Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I got past Lady in the Water and I could watch his other stuff, anyone can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Well, I mean, no, um, I really can't think of any director that has. I, I just can't watch their stuff. I mean, yeah, no, I. I can't think of one at any but rate. But I do appreciate when I saw the happening. Yes. I liked the script for the happening. <laughs> that's what? one. Of, Dude, most underrated film of the of all time. <laughs> I, I, I was watching the happening, and I'm like, "What is this? How did this happen?" Exactly. exactly. But he meant for a bad reason. You mean for a oh. good reason? Dude, I hated the happening. What? I wanted to put a bullet in my brain. I, I was so well, that excited made to you see do it. it if you breathed the right air. Yeah, if you just breathed the, the, the trees wanted you to kill yourself, <laughs> you would have done it. It's the trees. I just love watching Mark Wahlberg on screen trying to rationalize with trees. Okay. Like, it's just, oh, my God. And, you know, I, one of our buddies, Soul, he actually loves that movie. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I've... The script was great. It read great on the page. Did it? I mean, Everything that's one about, of those things, yeah. I just don't understand how that movie went so awry. All right. What's no next? Offense, right? Well, they ran from wind. That's the start. <laughs> from Om Nom Your Cookie. On the Black Panther 2 story, just deliver the story and all will be forgiven. The question should always be, what tells the story better? Star Wars showed us what not to do if the character is needed recast i mean look the, the the bottom line is you have to evaluate every scenario in itself in the star wars situation they a hundred percent should have recast leia the the decision what they decided to do clearly did not work let's take old footage of her meant for another movie and force it into this movie no pun intended and that clearly did not work i mean they should have just recast leia for that celebrate the the career and what Carrie Fisher did for us by having somebody pick up the baton across the finish line that she was no longer able to do herself. That's what they should have done. Listen, the, the reality is Ryan Coogler is the kind of storyteller that you can throw any circumstance at him and he's going to come up with a great story. I'm convinced had they done what I think they should have done and recast T'Challa, he would have made a monumentally awesome movie. They don't. I'm still convinced he's going to make a monumentally awesome movie. And so it also depends on the individual situation and who the storytellers are. All right, what's next? From Elizabeth Harado. While this whole Don't Worry Darling drama, my mind kept going to where is Kiki Lane during the press tour since she's a focal point in the film. Well, she posted saying that most of her scenes got cut. Any she thoughts? Did. <laughs> I mean, I, that happens all the time, though, in movies. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of time characters, as you know. Yep. I'm queen of the cutting room floor. <laughs> I mean, it, it just happens as part of the process. But, I mean, it's too bad. Mm-hmm. But that's just what happens when you make a movie. Every time you bring up the, the universal monster universe, I'm like, I had so many meetings. I had so many meetings with casting. <laughs> it happens. That's just what happens. It is what, yep. All right, what's next? From Tell Him You're My Cousin. Nervously excited for Regal's mystery movie tonight. My guesses are Terrifier 2, Amsterdam, or She Said. Can report tomorrow as to what the movie is? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm off to see a surprise mystery movie tonight mm-hmm. at Regal. I've never done one of these things before where, you know, we bought tickets for a movie. They're just saying it's a surprise screening. You don't know what it is. So Ann and I are going to go see it tonight. I believe it's going to be one of two movies. 
I believe there's a 50-50 chance that it'll either be Amsterdam, which I'm dying to see Amsterdam. That'd be a score, dude. I also think there's a very real possibility it's Black Adam because this could be part of their marketing campaign is they believe they're going to put it in front of audiences and get some audiences coming out and raving about, oh my God, this movie's amazing and kind of build that up for the last three weeks up to the movie coming up. I was really excited. I can tell. I was really excited about tonight. Me and Ann are all stoked. We're going to go out and have dinner, go to the surprise screening, maybe see Black Adam until some asshole in this room. I can't remember which one of you degenerates it was. <laughs> was it Ray? Robert Downey Jr. Of course Jr. it's me. <laughs> Said, what if it's Lyle, Lyle the crocodile? And I'm like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to lower your expectations. <laughs> Prepare for anything, She's baby. like, I got him. Now they will only come to the AMC. And now I'm convinced it's going to be Lyle, Lyle crocodile. At which point, Ann and I will probably just get up and leave and go get dessert. There's there's a great uh, Cold Stone right beside the theater. So we'll go in there and probably get some ice cream. But I'll let you guys know what movie it was uh, a little bit later. Once, <laughs> once we find out, please be Amsterdam or Black Adam. Please be one of those two. All right. What's next? From uh, Nash Preds 99, sitting in a $20 super chat. Thank you, thank Nash you so Preds. Uh, caught Avatar in IMAX, thought it looked great. And then I saw the new scene. Oh, my God. It was like looking through glass at a giant aquarium. It was so clear and realistic. This is game changing, just like the original film. Yeah, listen, a, a lot of we heard early word coming out of Europe where some countries got to see it a little bit earlier and talked about the new stuff. It looks it looks so good. Now, listen, th- the movie may be garbage. We We don't know, but. Oh my God, it looks good. Rob, you saw a bunch of footage they haven't put on the trailers yet back we, at CinemaCon Yes, too. and it, we, we do know it's not going to be garbage because if you said it was going to be garbage, you're betting against Jimmy C. <laughs> Nobody bets against Jimmy C. No, I thought the, the, obviously water is one of the most difficult things to do, especially creating it artificially in CG or whatever. The particle systems, I remember doing, I was covering a movie and, and I went to Rhythm and Hughes and they had created a whole new, system just to create realistic water and this guy was like the einstein of creating water effects and he raps waxotic about for an hour and dude i was i didn't even know what he was saying i just kept the camera on yes yes it's great and what jim cameron has done with this with with motion capture underwater i'm expecting nothing less than to hear angels sing when uh (laughs) we see this movie i really think it's gonna be that good all right what's next from Andy, between House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Andor, and Cobra Kai, I feel like I'm going through a streaming pile of hits. <laughs> I get the little play on words there, Andy. Oh, I get I the little it. play on oh, words there. Bit, That's pretty yeah. good. God, you know, I gotta, I gotta admit, look, uh, I, I, I'm not trying to yuck on anybody's yum. I'm not. I just, with everybody constantly telling me, because one of the constant themes of a lot of messages our viewers sending to me is, try Cobra Kai again. Great. You should try it. You're gonna like it this time, okay? I've done it a couple. I'll, I'll try. It's got Johnny. It's got. I Danny. tried watching another episode of it. I'm like, I no, no, this does not work for me. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I love that so many people love it. I love <laughs> that it's a big hit. I celebrate that. I'm not gonna crap on it. I'm just gonna remain saying it's just not for me. I, I, I don't get it. But that's you know what I feel like. I feel like Adam Scott in Parks and Rec with the way everybody loved Little Sebastian. The way everybody and, and, and meanwhile, Adam it's Scott's a tiny just like horse. I, it's, it's a small it's a, horse. It's a small horse. I, I that's that's kind of like me. I'm the one guy and the odd man out. I just don't get he it. He also that's likes fine. calzones though. So can we trust him? I don't know. The low cal calzone, calzone zone. zone. I love that. All right, what's next? 
from Anubis Genocide. Rob, you literally described the premise of the early 90s cartoon Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Ah, I forgot about the show. I've been saying it for years. Make it like Mad Max Fury Road, but with dinosaurs. I've yeah. never heard of this. What is this? I'm pulling it up right now. <laughs> what is, it's what is exactly what it sounds like. It was a video game, too, like a fighting game. Well, there you oh. go. Great minds think alike. I just Bring it on. Hey, by the way, Jonathan, I emailed image. you something. You want to check your email on that. But anyway, what is this? I'm tired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mitch Show. I just so it Jonathan. was a ridiculous <laughs> video game with like this busty gal and it these was a, fellas. It was a video game. And then they made it into an animated series. What? And I, yeah. I've never That's heard of this. Of I remember the video game. I don't remember the cartoon. It wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. All right. What's next? From uh, Tacky75, Legends of the Fall, best shampoo commercial ever. Could very well be. <laughs> there, Yeah, there is some flowing locks. And by the way, a pretty damn good movie, actually. It is a it, It's a good really movie. good movie. All right, what's next? From, uh, oh. Oops, sorry. Here we go. Okay. From Collins E. I love Kathleen Kennedy, but the Rogue Squadron cancellation was disappointing. Is she still in charge of Lucasfilm because Star Wars TV has been successful and Disney cares most about that? Well, yeah, she, I mean, listen, everything, this is a funny thing. When people decide they like somebody, they want to give them credit for everything. And when people decide they don't like somebody, they don't want to give them credit for a thing. The reality is Kathleen Kennedy, everything you like, like, guess what? If you like Mandalorian, you got to give credit to Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah. And, and nobody wants to. Like anything that comes out of Star Wars, people don't like. It's Kathleen Kennedy's fault. If something comes out of Star Wars, good. Well, that had nothing to do with Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy... And you know, I, I believe Kathleen Kennedy is one of the greatest producers of all time. I do not think she's been a good fit. I, I was all for it when they first hired her. But over time, I'm like, I, I don't think she's a good fit to be the head of Lucasfilm. She should go back to producing and, and being one of the best of all time. But the reality is she had a stack of hundreds of pitches for Star Wars shows. And when she saw the Mandalorian one, she recognized it. She went, yes, we need to develop this. She brought in Jon Favreau. And then said to John Favreau in the midst of this, you know who I really want you to work with on this? I want to pair you with, with uh, Filoni. I want to pair you with Filoni. And Favreau said, oh, yeah, that's great. And that's how Dave Filoni got involved with Mandalorian because Kathleen Kennedy saw the script, realized that the, the touch that Filoni could bring to it would really help here. She put those two together. Th this is all John Favreau telling the story on stage at D23. Mm -hmm. Put them together and go. And I'm sorry, you're allowed to hate Kathleen Kennedy if you do, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Andor, guess what? If you're loving Andor, that's because Kathleen Kennedy said, yes, this is one we need to greenlight. Now, she also deserves a lot of the criticism for things like Book of Boba Fett, the fact that I think, I personally think Obi-Wan was a little bit of a misfire. She's got to take her, her lumps too, but if you're going to hand out the lumps, you also got to hand out the credit. And hey, listen, she's got some wins and you got to be able to acknowledge that, that she's got some wins. All right, what's next? From Bobby Jackson, in that Empire Magazine interview about Black Panther, Tenak Huerta, excuse me if I pronounce that wrong, confirmed that he is a mutant. So can we take that to the bank, even though it's the actor saying it and not Kevin Feige? Well, I mean, it also, it doesn't say anything in there about whether that's said in the movie. Right. Right. So the actors can look at it a certain way. The actors can even be told something by a director because they know the actors sometimes, I want to know everything about my care. What's his motivation? Well, well, he's, I mean, so it will all come out what, what we'll really have something to discuss is when what is described in the movie. Does the movie call him a mutant? Now, that floodgate's already been opened in Ms. Marvel. 
where she's been referred to directly as a mutant with playing in the background, right? I mean, so there we go. So it's, I'm not so interested in what an actor says about their character. I'm more interested about what does the movie say about the character? Yeah. Because if they do call him a mutant in the movie, well, Rob, we got loads of luggage to unpack and talk about there. (laughs) I don't know. What do you think they're going to do? Well, I think he, the character is a mutant. You know, and if they're going to call him Namor, they've they've got years. Uh, Namor is one of the oldest characters in Marvel because he dates back pre-World War II. Um, and I think, why not? Sure, he's a, a mutant. What, what they haven't defined is, look, if there's vampires and there's, there's like ghosts running in and out of dimensions or whatever the hell she's doing, there's so many things that they keep dropping. Now we're going to get a werewolf. I mean, to say that there's mutants... Why not? There's clearly a lot of things that they have not addressed in the Marvel Universe. They'll get around to doing it. I think in this case, they're going to have to define, are all Atlanteans, or whatever it's called, are they all mutants? Talacans? Uh, Talacans, are they all, if anybody, uh, if uh, with, I don't know. And if, if only Namor is a mutant, and his people aren't, but they can breathe underwater, what does that say about them? Yeah, it's the whole race mutants. Actually, that's a very good question. All right. That's, actually, I hadn't even thought about that. Rob, dropping the the heavy philosophy stuff right now. What can I do? All right, what's next? From Sam Fisher, did you see the new clip from the Wednesday Addams series of her and Thing? I thought it looked fantastic. It does. I have not, but I'll just tell you that the trailer sold me. Yeah. When the when the trailer dropped, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm on board. This is this is great. This might almost be as good as the monsters. Um, <laughs> which, God, I cannot. You know, is it weird that I cannot wait to watch that train wreck? No, that makes but, sense to me. But what if it come, What if this comes out and it's, we watch it? We go, you know what? This worked. I don't know. It could be magical. But Wednesday looks fantastic. Oh yeah, I, I'm very, very, and I'm not even a huge Tim Burton guy, but this looks really it good really to me. It really does look good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, what's next? And that clip's good. From Bond Presents, who's a fictional character you each personally identify with most? For Ray, uh, someone other than Newt Gunray, please. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> uh, I I honestly don't. That's something I'd have to think about. I I really don't know off the top of my head. James Teeker. James Teeker. Well, if you don't say so yourself. Pippin from the Lord of the Rings. Pip. I love that. I love him. I love that for you. Yeah, I like snacks. I like snacks. (laughs) Elevensies. Second breakfast. Yeah. All right, what's next? From, uh, oh, if we could scroll down. There you go. Suit the S. Yes, yes, yes. God damn it, yes. Amimusha was the bee's knees. I still have all four for the PS2 and love all four. Third one was the best with Gene freaking Reno. I have no idea what we're talking about. I, I think I brought that up Friday. I was talking about I love the Onimusha fr- franchise. It's a Capcom video game. And it's about a samurai. And I love it. I love the... the I never played the fourth one, though. I stopped with the Jean Reno one where they went through time. Look, it was cool that he was in it. But I prefer the first. There's a purity there. And it's a great game. And you I know, love it. I signed up for the big highfalutin PS5 membership thing where you can go back and download any of the old games, but I haven't done a single one yet. And I signed up for it like over a month ago. So maybe that's one I should try. It's fun. You know what? It's just an action fantasy game where you're going through a basically a dungeon fighting these crazy monsters that look like something from Big Trouble in Little China. It's awesome. Oh, by the way, speaking of um, that, it wasn't on the PS5, it was on the Nintendo Switch. So Anne got the new Monkey Island. <gasps> Finished it in two days. Oh, hell yeah. 
Yeah, she finished oh, it in two days. Wow. She went hardcore on that game. Finished it in like two days. By the way, and just Did texted like me it? something. Oh, she loved it. She had a great time with it. Um, and just actually texted me something. Jonathan, I sent it over to you. Apparently, so we were at the Rams game last week. Apparently, apparently we got uh, we were on the we were on camera. Aww. Yay. So there's me and asking uh, asking Anne to explain football to me. Uh, <laughs> both of us in our uh, Rams gear. Yeah, we had a marvelous time. So I didn't realize that we got uh, we were on camera for it. So yeah, <laughs> thank you, Anne, for sending that over to me. All right, what's next? From Mr. Graham ninety one. Well, John, now you've seen six episodes from both Andor and House of the Dragon. Mm. Which is the better TV show on today, in your opinion? Ooh. I'm still going to say House of the Dragon. I mean, I'm I am loving Andor. I am loving Andor. Uh, but House of the Dragon has just I, I can't really put my finger on on what it is about this show that has literally got my eyes glued to the TV every single frame. Like, you know, Rob, we were talking about how like so much happens this episode. Like they have found a way, the pacing of all the Game of Thrones stuff, the pacing in their show is incredible because even if there's no action and no fights, whatever. The pace of this show is so great because significant things are constantly happening. And then they move on to the next significant thing to happen. And the next, even something as simple as, and we'll go into this in the spoiler discussion, is somebody walking up some stairs and just overhearing a conversation is an incredibly drama-filled scene that it's just great. So I love, 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 love Andor, but I'm going to give the crown right now to House of the Dragon. It's almost like whenever you watch the show, it's, there's a sense of dread. There's a sense of dread, unlike any horror show. The dread is that that every one of these characters at any one moment is going to be subject to a horribly violent death. Yep. No matter who they are. Yep. At any moment. All right. What's next? From John Lee. Has anyone watched Industry on HBO Max? It's like Succession and Euphoria in one show. The acting and writing is top notch. I've never even heard of it. I keep hearing about this. And I is this a new one or an old one or? Mm -hmm. Uh, so, hey, man, you just put it on our radar. Thanks for that. But I've never even heard of this People show yet. love it. All right. I'll keep my eye open for it. All right. What's next? From Suthius, the new Dahmer series is very good, but it will be hard to watch for some. Story is not linear, but easy to follow. Great performances all around, especially Peter's. Jesus Christ, this guy is good. So good. I, I just can't. It was. I've always liked him, but it wasn't until Mare of Easttown that I was oh, like, wow. He's incredible in that show. Because he's like acting a long time. A what? Six time Oscar nominee? Mm -hmm. in, and it's like, so, and like, he is like totally carrying his stuff. I, I just love him. So I am curious to see it. Um, I just haven't had a chance to start watching it, but I'm going to watch it soon. All right. What's next? Bog shot. There we go. Yeah. From Andy. <laughs> I've joked before that Olivia Wilde chose styles over substance. <laughs> but if these it. reports are real, then it's completely wild how very real that joke was. Uh, yeah. yeah, again, listen, I I have been a huge Olivia Wilde fanboy for a long time. So I hope Rob is right. I, I don't think you are, but I <laughs> hope you are. Uh, because I've been such a huge fan of hers and I, I want to see her career really go. Booksmart is such a flipping, awesomely done movie. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I I'm dying to hear Florence Pugh say something about it, but you know what? If she's the classy professional, I think she is. Florence Pugh will never say a word. That's right. That's exactly why she's not saying anything. But I think again, I think if she had something to, if she had something to say that was supportive and, and puts the conversation back, right? Like Chris Pines, people come out saying Harry Styles did not spit on me. I think as a classy professional, she would have come out and said that. And but she should do it on this show. 
and she should do it on this show. Come Florence on. Pugh. Come on, we'll Florence. you out. Come on into the Chime Game Show. Set the there. record straight. <laughs> I got you on the wall back there. We, that's right. Yeah. Bring up Frasia. You're we welcome see her? here anytime. We can't. Oh, why, oh, move your head, right? Can't really see it. No, no, no. That's oh, where is she in relation to all yeah. that? Oh, we'll, she's we'll above. figure it out. But you're back there. I that's promise. right. She's got a big portrait of Florence Pugh back there on the wall. All right. What's next? From Luis Enrique de la Peña, I took Feige's words in two ways. Either they had to release Black Panther 2 before Phase 6 is over, or they'll wait to see if it is as successful as the first one to recast or not. I don't take either of those at all. I, I, I don't think it, the this had to be released by whatever time. I don't think that was part of it at all. And I don't think if this thing's a flop, that's not going to make them recast it. If it's a huge hit, it's not going to stop them from recasting it. So I can see how you I can see how you're looking at it that way. I, I just personally disagree on that. But hey, let's uh, the years will tell us, my friend, the years will tell us. All right. What's next? From Dwan William, those kids sure look strong. The seed is strong. That's again, we'll go into that a little bit later. We're not going to go into details on that right now. All right. What's next? From Rob the Knight. With Hulk off to Sakaar, what are the odds we see She-Hulk deal with a paternity case with a Hulkling reveal? Season finale with Bruce back? I'm going to guess no, because that wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't even be Earth law. And by the way, I'm just going to throw this out there. Not Earth law. <laughs> they never said he was on his way to Sakaar. Yeah. No. The show never said he was on his way to Sakaar. Now, of course, we can imply that because of the ship he was on, whatever. I'm just saying it doesn't officially say that. Do, do you have to do a paternity test with a Hulk? I yeah, feel yeah, like, no, yeah, I feel like that's very evident of like, oh, he also can turn green and rage. That is probably your child. Like, <laughs> does the kid have blonde hair? No, not Tigerian. It's just that simple. Just maybe, just maybe. All right, what's next? From Chris XP, Invincible Season 2 already recording voices. Yeah. yeah, but I haven't actually started any of the production on it yeah. yet. So, I mean, we're still a ways off from it. I want to see this thing soon, man. Mm -hmm. All right, what's next? From Yasmar Hidalgo, I enjoy motion smoothing on my TV, John. Tom Cruise can fight me. Hey, listen, it's as subjective as anything else. The smooth motion, high frame rate stuff for some people. I, listen, from a technical, technically speaking, it is the superior image. From a technical perspective, it is the superior image. But is it the one that people enjoy the most? Yeah. A lot of people don't like it, but some people will. It's a subjective thing. Like, Rob, I know you're not a fan of it. Oh, no. No, no, no. Mo See, the thing is, motion smoothing is artificially doing something, especially to film images, that it shouldn't be doing. It's literally changing the original image into something horrible. Well, I mean, but that's one. One could argue like that. Twenty-four frames is an unnatural, not the way the human eye properly perceives things in reality. It it was actually the standard of twenty-four frames is a product of an era's technological limitation. That is true, right? That is true. But it's just become what movies look like to <clears throat> us, and even though it's it is inferior. And it is only that way because of technical limitations of an era. It is what we've grown accustomed to. So I don't know, maybe 20 years from now, people will look at a 24 frame thing and go, that looks weird. Well, but no, I, I think uh, you're not wrong because if you go back to the silent era, they weren't using 24 frames. They were doing like 18 frames. Right. And so things look different. They look, there was more of, of a stutter to that imagery. People go back and look at that and go, ah, that looks like a mistake. So you're absolutely right about that. And my, my whole thing is what I want to see is the original image in its in preserved the best it can be and that that is progressive scan 24 frame video at least for movies i mean obviously there are things that are being shot in 60 frames 
which is sort of high frame rates on 120 frames, but still, and it looks like it's supposed to look because that's how it originated. That's what I'm interested in. How did the image originate? I want to see it that way. Okay, guys, we are nearly out of time here, so we're going to have to pick up our pace a little bit quickly. So we still got a bunch to get through. So what is next? From... Uh, from Jay, hi, can you rank your anticipation level for these animated series, second seasons? A, Invincible, season two, B, Vox Machina, season two, C, Arcane, season two. Um, bring that back up. Well, Arcane is the best animated show of all time, in my opinion. So, it like, it blows everything else out of the water. So, obviously, Arcane, very close for Invincible season two, but I'm a Dungeons and Dragons guy. I really liked Vox Machina. So, yep. while I'm looking forward to all three of these, it's Arcane, Vox Machina, and then Invincible season two. What about you guys? Totally agree. Yeah. Same one? Probably be my... Uh, I think Invincible's probably a higher up there for me. Then? Yeah. Then, well, then Vox Machina. Then Vox sure. Machina. Yeah. But we're all, we're all agreed that Arcane is the number one? Oh. Yeah. All right. All right. What's next? Bruh. From Fifi. Makes me think that man thing is CGI because they want to use him more in the MCU outfit of WWBN. I don't know what WWBN is. Where we'll find Worldwide. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's not a bad call. That right. may, Listen, if you have plans future, you got to make him look in this thing the way you want. But I don't know. How self-contained is this story? Because if it is truly self-contained, then that almost doesn't matter. But that's actually not a bad theory. All right. What's next? From Cutter Hale. Saw that John Hamm movie Confess Fletch Saturday. I loved it. It's very entertaining. Seeing Don't Worry Darling tomorrow. Can't wait. I'll be honest with you. I was shocked when I looked at the movie listings the other day and saw that it was in theaters. <laughs> Me too. Number one, I had no idea it was coming out now. Number two, I thought it was a straight to video mm -hmm. thing. And did you hear the story that, that the producers were bailing on it and John Hamm actually gave up 60% of his salary yeah. so they could use that money to finish the film? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've heard really good things about it. People like it. Yeah. I, I, I want to see it. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm just a big John Hamm fan love I, I just him. love the guy how good was he in uh baby driver oh so good he's so good in that all right what's next from james argenta ty Tennant, who plays teen Aegon 2 is the adoptive son of the 10th doctor Tennant and grandson of the fifth doctor peter davidson yep georgia yep. Tennant's. yeah baby. i was brought the other day that uh mm -hmm. Aegon is uh the new Aegon. we should say is who looks way older than 10 years old um or even 12 uh but he's the new uh he was Dave, david Tennant's son which is pretty cool to hear mm -hmm. all right what's next from Al Renshaw, when when are we getting that cooking show between Ray and Chris? Judging panel consisting of five people with two to three of them that have never tried their food. Uh, listen, if somebody wants to send in $20,000 yeah. so I can actually put that show together, damn, okay. I'll do it in a heartbeat. Ray's ready for it. It'd be so fun, Ray. Why are you glaring at me? <laughs> what did I do to you? I'm trying to think of like how many dishes I can actually make off the top of my head, and I'm like... Yeah, Chris will probably beat you. You've got a lot of things that you make. I got to tell you what, I've been the recipient of the very happy recipient of both of these guys' food, and mm -hmm. it's always a treat. Everyone a wins. Treat. Yeah. I win. <laughs> I certainly win. All right, what's next? From Hammy Reacts, loving Weekly Hero, Yay! especially the issue and hot toy segment. So insightful. Also love Don't Worry Darling, great aesthetics and sound design. Yeah, I mean, you guys are having fun doing Weekly Hero. We are. We're shooting, we're shooting a new episode this yeah. afternoon. I'm excited for this this week's episode. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, people seem issue. to really be happy that it's back, and I love you two guys hosting it. Yeah. All right. Great job, Jonathan. It is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing over here. Some of my best work. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's next? Speak From Andy, <laughs> I don't do ex-actors and ex-roles much either, but Sean Bean should have played all the Thomas Waynes and Uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, he is one of my favorite actors. Oh, he's the best. He is, like, whenever he pops up in something, he's absolutely wonderful. Like, even when you watch him in a role that you wouldn't think of him in, like in The Martian, like as, as the mission control guy, like he's just always kills it. I absolutely love this guy. I don't so know good. why he's not even bigger than he is. He survived. 
Yeah, he's the Martian. That one. Hey, doesn't have an golfing. <laughs> That's great. All right, what's next? From Matthew Grant, can appreciate Fiona Shaw. I'm used to seeing her as a villain, but she has quite a lot of heart in Andor. P.S. She was awesome in Super Mario Bros. Hmm. I she was in Super is, Mario. Was Brothers? that Andor's casting's mom? Yes. She was in Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now because I know she's on Petunia. I mean, she's got an incredible resume stuff she's been in. Who was she in Super Mario Brothers? I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, apparently a resume that includes Super Mario Brothers. Wow. I gotta look that up. Thanks for the little info there, man. I appreciate that a lot. Alright, what's next? From In My Humble Opinion Reviews, after seeing uh, Don't Worry Darling, some reactions to it have been over-dramatized. Not the best film by far, but the train... Uh, not the best film, but far from the train wreck it's being described as. Yeah. I mean, listen, but they're not being over-dramatized if that's how they really felt about it. Like... It, it's 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 weird to say something like other people's opinions are wrong because they're not the same opinion that I had. So it's like, I mean, but listen, I've often said, so you know what? I saw that movie and I didn't find it to be as bad as other people saying, but I, but they're not necessarily being overdramatic. It's like if they watch it and they, and then their subjective opinion, they watched and they thought it was terrible. Great. If somebody watched it and thought it was the best movie of the year, they're not overhyping it. They're just giving you what their opinion is. So, you know what? It's a beautifully made film. And I, and I think that it really shows her uh, ability as a director is growing because she really does create a great milieu. The problem is with the movie is it poses these questions throughout the whole film that just has an unsatisfying payoff. So I think that people are judging what is actually a very beautifully done film that just doesn't end well. And mm. it doesn't leave you walking out of the theater satisfied. That's too bad. But All right. it's, it's really well made. But listen, it, it needs to be noted that I've heard from a number of people that actually quite enjoyed the film, and that's important to say. All right, what's next? From Jeremy Seitz. I didn't like the time jump in House of the Dragon. It felt like skipping from uh, season one, episode five, to season three, episode one. I was left saying, huh, more than any other episode. You know, I I kind of felt the same way for the first couple of minutes, even though the first scene is just immediately grabs you oh. by the throat. I mean, it's... Incredible. But I mean, at first it took that little bit of adjustment, but very quickly you realized, okay, this is where we are now and this is what's being told. But I can totally understand that. I think even Anne, when we were watching, she felt a little bit like that at first. But uh, so I get that feeling. And like, like even the director said, this is like a whole second pilot. This is like another pilot episode in the middle of a season. So I totally get that. But it, it did work for me. It clicked for me. All right, what's next? If you watch it with motion smoothness on it, it makes the time jump seem more natural. Yes, oh, it's way okay. smoother. That's what I should have done. Way smoother. Right. <laughs> Angel Leon, happy The Last of Us Day. I <laughs> knew HBO will drop a trailer, and it was awesome. Yeah, I had no idea the trailer was coming, but man, that was that was good. I was just playing it this morning. It it was just so good. I I just again I don't know if the show's gonna be any good, but with the showrunner of Chernobyl, it probably will be. So uh, just a great great first trailer. All right, what's next? From Joshua Jones, the Jim Henson shop might be busy with a certain pizza place horror movie at the moment. <laughs> That's fair. That's Are they fair. doing another little shop of horrors? They're doing five, five nights, five nights at Freddy's. Oh, five nights at mm -hmm. pizza place. Not here. Okay, yes, P P five nights at Freddy's. Oh my God, yeah. We when those pictures came out showing Freddy the people at Jim bears. Henson Company like working on the stuff, it's like, oh, this is finally going to come. It is the only video game ever in history that's ever creeped me out. No video game has ever. Last creeped of Us me didn't out. creep you out? No, I thought it was fun. It's it's fun, super great story. But, but yeah, movies, the video games don't scare me. But Five Nights at Freddy's, I was playing that's like nope, nope, yeah. nope. I got <laughs> I got to either turn the lights on or I got to put my phone down. It was one of those things. All right, what's next? <laughs> I'm a Freddy cat. I'm gonna make you guys watch the uh, one I did for the React channel. 
Uh, for Five Nights at Freddy's? Uh, yeah, number four. I did three and four, but four was the best one. For those of you guys who don't know, uh, Jonathan Boyko used to actually be an editor with the Fine Brothers and the uh, the React channels, stuff like that So for a while. So anyway, that, that's just a little better background there. All right, what's next? From a Sith Lord. I love you guys. Happy <laughs> Monday. Hot D was awesome. Thank you, Sith. Yeah. And yet, we love that you're here too. And yes, I, I thought the episode was awesome. I cannot wait to see where it goes next week. All right, what's next? From Kenzie Brumley. Hi, guys. I was curious what actor uh, when actors are working on other projects. How do studios and actors work out time to promote their movies? Yeah, this is all stuff that has to be... This is why the logistics of filmmaking is a big deal yeah it is a huge deal because you got all these complicated things and when actors are putting in into their contracts a lot of the times they will have to put in contracts that subject to uh future whatever this this and this that that said actor will make available x amount of time given this amount of whatever and then when they start negotiating with the next movie they're doing they have to bring those clauses that contract to that studio says okay i'm i'd love to do this movie but my x date x date and x date are gonna have to be made available to these people for promotion or premieres or, or whatever so it is a huge complicated ball of wax scheduling wise but that's what the agents are for and they'll they work that out all right what's next from Benjamin Tam, just recently watched Confess Fletch and watched them run both very good murder mysteries. With Glass Onion coming out soon, do you think there's a return to the mystery, murder mystery genre? I certainly hope so. I love murder mysteries Dang. and I am dying to see, see how they run. Like I, 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 I still was shocked that I didn't even know that movie was coming out yet and I want to see it badly. Did you watch the clip online of everybody receiving their invitations from the Glass Onion? All the, no, char- all no, the characters, like it's a big puzzle box that everybody... That sold me. I'm like, I watched that scene. I'm like, oh. It was like I'm, the second runner up for the top prize at the Toronto Film Festival this year. Yeah, so. I, I'm like totally in it, that. Just that scene. It's only like two and a half minutes long. You, you watch it. You already love all these characters. You're like, I'm so in. I cannot wait. All right. What's next? From Jonathan Vagoa. Have you all seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? I'm watching it right now on Netflix and I'm absolutely loving it. It's a musical comedy and I'm dying laughing. I love never that show. saw a single episode, oh. but I, I, I only know a couple of people who did watch it. They seem to like it, but I don't know many people who saw it. Did uh, you watch it? It was great. The, the later seasons weren't as awesome, but season one was fabulous. It was so wonderful. How many seasons did it go? I believe three or four. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I, I never saw it. She's got like... Does she have like an Asian boyfriend in it or something like? Just Chan. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking of the right show. Yes. Yeah, but I never yeah, did see it. She's in love it. with Just Chan. All right, what's next? Uh, tell him you're my cousin. Says, why do werewolves howl at the moon? Because no one else will do it for them. <laughs> Silly. That's actually not bad. That's not bad. We've heard worse. Is it not bad? We've heard worse. All right, what's next? <laughs> From Tom, oh golly, Weinberg. Weinberg. Watched 14 Marilyn Monroe films in a week. Wow. Having never seen one before. Faves include Misfits, Don't Bother to Knock, Prince, and The Showgirl. Do you I have a fave? You know, it's, it's funny that that got brought up because, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Blonde that's out right now and, and stuff. And there was somebody, did you see the story? Like somebody who had, who had known her or worked with her before said something about that her real life was far worse than what they even showed in Blonde. I don't know if you saw that thing. I still haven't been able to bring myself to watch it. Same. To be be honest with you. I am intrigued to see it, but I I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it. Do you have a favorite? Well, look, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and she only has a bit part, and that's all about Eve, which was Best Picture of 1950. Mm. But, I mean, I love, you know, gentlemen prefer blondes. You know, I love her. All right, what's next? From Cody Mick, 
Saw RZ's Monsters, the Rob Zombie's Monsters this weekend. Watched it twice. Loved it. Spooky good fun. Mm-hmm. Hope y'all can look past the bad trailer and enjoy it for the fun family flick that it is. Zombie for the win. Love you guys. I think somebody's trolling us, to be honest with you. But hey, listen, how I thought the trailers for Harley Quinn looked like bullshit. And it's now one of my favorite shows on TV. How, how are people seeing the monsters? Maybe it's a surprise. They, they sent out they 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 had sent out a bunch of people. They sent us some DVDs. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm dying to see this. I talked to somebody else who saw it, and they didn't like it at all. But okay. I mean, but that was only one. That was only one person I talked to. Just one. So I mean, I don't know. Like, here's hoping. I mean, they made it. Cody saying they got the Blu-ray early. They are a uh, Rob Zombie fanboy though, uh, but not trolling. Really liked it. All right. Okay. Well, that's so, great. Right. Awesome, who, like I said, who knows? We've all seen trailers that we all thought looked like they were garbage and then watched the movie and really liked it. I mean, this happened to all of us numbers of times. So maybe this could be the next one for that. You never know. I doubt it, but you never know. All right. What's next? Oh, that's it. That's it? We're all done. All right, all right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those super chats, number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so much for your support. Don't forget to come back later today at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time. That's 6 p.m. New York time for our Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, open spoiler after show. We hope you guys will come back and talk about the new episode with us then as well. And of course, don't forget to come back and join us for the John Campia Show again tomorrow. While you're here, take a second, click that subscribe button, hit the thumbs up button, leave some comments below. It all helps the channel out. So for everybody in the room, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, Chris Carr, the one and the only Ray Aura, and of course, producer Jonathan Voico, and myself. My name is John Campia. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.